Hello and welcome everyone to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. I'm Josh Roller from Indiana, but residing in North Carolina. On the other side of this podcast is Rob Peters, who is both living in uh, from the great state of Indiana. Yes, I am a little biased towards my home state. I'm sorry. Uh, we have <laughs> quite a bit uh, to punch our way through today. Um, that's to say the least there. Plenty of news, hectic NASCAR races, and then we have two new club inductees. Welcome Lewis Hamilton to the 100 Wins Club. Uh, he becomes the first driver to accomplish that feat in Formula One. Uh, Not then much of a club if he's the only one in there. Well, he started the club. The okay. he, he, started he's the club. the club leader. He's the official club leader, and anyone else who ever wins 100 races has to bow to Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I, I, you're probably right. You're probably right on that. Uh, and then in Long Beach, IndyCar wrapped up its 2021 season, and Alex Pillow joined an illustrious list of drivers who have won an IndyCar Series title. I say let's get started. So, Rob, uh, crank down the music, and uh, when you're done, go ahead and start this show off with Rob's Racing Report. All right, everybody. I am at the master control desk here of the recording of this podcast. And uh, we are going to go ahead and start the show off with some Formula One news, starting it off with Rob's Racing Report, an expected but yet confirmed announcement until this week was that uh, Haas F1 will retain its two dri- current drivers this for next year and ensure, indeed, it has. Haas F1 has announced that they will retain Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin for 2022, which, again, comes to nobody's surprise. Mazepin is basically funding that, and Ferrari is is probably lobbying and paying Haas quite a bit to make sure that Mick Schumacher is on that team. So, But hopefully, maybe, we'll see, so considering the fact that they apparently Haas has put all of their eggs in the 2022 basket. Yeah, We'll see where uh, they, they end up on the grid because it has been very rough for... Anyway, um, let's go ahead here, and since Haas is going to have some problems this year, we're hoping they get better next year. Anyway, let's move on here uh, to the next piece of news. The inaugural Miami Grand Prix will take place during the weekend of May 6th through 8th, 2022. So we're going to have F1 over here in May. We, yep. know, we don't know any else part, any other parts of the F1 schedule, but we know that they're coming here in the very first week of May, which is going to be interesting given you know the most of the uh, attention in the motor racing world is usually on Indianapolis in May but now i guess it's going to be down in Miami i'm sure f1 is doing this just to bother me right um ferrari team principal mattia benotto believes that the mguh component a heat recovery system will be dropped in the next set of engine regulations which will aid new manufacturers to enter formula 1 including the volkswagen group okay that's interesting that's interesting. I'm curious to see where that goes. Um, and oh, by the way, here's a piece of news, more 2022 schedule news. Uh, beginning in 2022, the Monaco Grand Prix will become a three-day race weekend, ending a tradition of a four-day weekend. This comes as the F1 weekend schedule is expected to be updated. Media obligations are expected to move from Thursday to Friday morning, with Friday only having one practice to accommodate calendar expansion. Okay, this is kind of interesting. Um, 
we'll see because they want to shorten you know, the weekend for everyone. They, they want to shorten yeah. the weekend. But you know, Monaco traditionally you practice yeah. on on Thursday, Thursday and then you have a rest day on Friday and then you do qualifying on Saturday and then a race, race. on Sunday. Now yeah. this is interesting because this past year the F2 race actually ran, I believe, the first of their sprint races on, or maybe I, or maybe the second, I can't remember off the top of my head. It might have been their first. I think it was their first sprint race at Monaco on that traditional rest day, on that Friday morning. Thank you. That was, that was kind of unusual. That kind of hadn't been done before. So I'm kind of curious to see if maybe that was a, that running F2 on that Friday was maybe a bit of test to see, hey, is anybody going to feel weird if we race on or, or if we turn cars on Monaco, the streets of Monaco on a Friday? Like, yeah. can we can we do that? And I guess they realized, yes, we can. So they're doing it. Um, yeah. Now, F1 CEO Stefan Utter. The- Okay, so we've got a potential move to Kyalami that's being explored. Now, I'm fairly certain that Kyalami is indeed uh, up to snuff and is, I believe, a, um, I believe it is F1, FIA grade two right now. It's grade two, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. So it, certainly it will need some upgrades, but if they're interested, they very well seem to have the capital needed to upgrade the, the circuit to, um, to, grade one requirements but i'm also curious because we talked about this last week we talked about potential return to korea which i see is less likely because yeah. i they've they've talked about this in the past i recall i believe it was in 2014 uh they talked about this they even put it on the provisional calendar for 2015 and then yanked it off there again um when something else arose, I think it was Baku or something that it was a placeholder for something, not Baku, but it was a placeholder for something. Now I also read somewhere that people, there are some rumors that state a return to Sipang in Malaysia could happen. Now I would personally prefer to see that. Um, obviously I don't know what the future of the race in Singapore holds. Uh, we haven't held it for the past two years due to COVID. And paying return than than Singapore. I would yeah, I would wonder if they are potentially exploring a return to see Pang in place of Singapore, which yeah. again I would be a hundred percent fine with. I hate Singapore. I love Sipang, so yeah. <laughs> you know my take on that. Um, but those are interesting notes. And then of course we still have a TBC uh date on the calendar here. Now we mentioned in the past that it could be Lusail circuit out in Qatar. I mentioned I'd be interested in seeing that, and I always kind of have been interested in seeing how F1 cars would perform on that circuit because I think it's a very interesting and unique circuit. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Utah Motorsports Park, Motorsports Campus out in Utah a little bit. Kind of reminds me of that. So uh, maybe not maybe not as picturesque as that, but definitely gives me the same vibes in terms of track design. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how that works out. Like, if they do end up going to Losail, does Losail come out and say, hey, you know, F1, you guys clearly have a pretty big Mideast, Middle Eastern presence. Would you guys come here? Would you guys consider, you know, having a Qatar Grand Prix, you know? Um, I wouldn't mind it being a pro- placeholder race, but I don't want it to be on a permanent schedule. We'll see. I'm going to wait to 
pass judgment on it until we see how how it races. Because I might be biased by saying I think that that's one of the better Middle Eastern tracks. I mean, Bahrain is up there. We'll see what happens with Abu Dhabi, but I've always kind of liked uh, Losail, especially for motorbikes. But again, we'll see what, what we have to run a race there before we can really and truly see what right. if it if it's deserving at least of another schedule. That's right. why I think Bahrain should just switch to the outer layout forever. But yeah, to yeah. each his own. Um, anyway, next piece of news here for regarding Formula Two and Formula Three on this Friday made him happy. It makes me very happy, believe me. On Friday, it was formally announced that F2 and F3 will return to their original race format for 2022. Qualifying will be on Friday. The sprint race will be on Saturday with a feature race on Sunday. F2 and F3 will also share the weekend once again, as opposed to running on separate weekends as they did this year. Thank goodness, because this was just, this was too confusing. This was way too awful. And let's, and I, and I don't want to spoiler alert anybody here, but, you know, we ran the final F3 race and we ran the penultimate F2 race this past weekend. But there's and, two more rounds in F2. Nope, there's one. There's just there's one, one more. Oh, I thought there was two. And it's going, and you, do you know when it is? It's when oh. we go to Saudi Arabia in December. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we have these ginormous gaps between F2 races for some reason. And I don't understand why. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to see what happens when we get to Saudi Arabia because if, no, there's, if two, there's anything, there's two more rounds. There's two more rounds. They got there is? Yeah, sorry, not not to interrupt you. What's not the next round? It's Saudi Arabia in in Abu Dhabi. Okay. The, oh, I forgot about Abu. But the point is, it's still not until December. Yeah, it's right? a long ways away. Yeah, it's a okay. long ways away. So I forgot that they were still running at Abu Dhabi. I don't know why I forgot that. I just. Whatever. Sometimes I'm wrong. Thank you for correcting me, Josh, before I made a fool of myself on the show. But no my point is, it's a bit, it's crazy to me that we had a break between July and September, and now we have a break from September to December. This is getting out of hand when it comes to the F2 schedule. Well, I and mean, then again, again, not, again, not to interrupt you, sorry, but I think a lot of this is just COVID scheduling. Okay. Oh, absolutely. It's COVID scheduling. It, it's a bummer that you have to wait that long. But if you go back to a traditional schedule next year that it was 2019 and prior, you won't have to wait as long. But, you know, like so many other things, it's just unfortunately a wrench has been thrown into their to their travel plans. The biggest issue I have about that, too, is that the F3 season is entirely done. Yeah. The F3 done. season is over. We crowned a championship. We'll get to that in a, li- in a little bit. But that season is entirely done. So usually in the period of time, you know, normally when those feeder series end, they start working on putting pieces together for next year. Well, F2 is not over yet. So, you know, a a team might elect to retain a driver or let go of a driver or a team might get another driver. And these F3 drivers that are trying to move up, they have no, when are they going to be able to start signing contracts? When are they going to start take shopping for other teams, you know, are they going to have to wait until after December, after the season is over? You're going to wait until the Monday after the race. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. But you, but you, but don't you think that there's people talking like, okay, we know how some things are going to shake out, or you have a really good idea what ballpark you're oh, going to land sure in. They have, I'm sure they have this or having discussions, but we can't even begin to start thinking about putting pen to paper for some of those it's, contracts until the F2 season is over in December. Right. I mean, it gives it gives drivers like, as I'll talk about in a little bit, it gives drivers like Logan Sargent to maybe start rallying, maybe even crowdfunding some. <laughs> you know, I don't know if crowdfunding would work to get him an F two ride for next year, um, but we'll see. 
Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm curious to see how that's all going to work out. But uh, that's F2 and F3. We've got some good news working there. Uh, moving on to IndyCar news. lot of silly season news. We were expecting this to happen. And finally, now we're getting the silly season news happening. It, it took long enough, but we've got it. Racer has reported that AJ Foyt is con- racing is considering expanding to a three car operation in 2022. Team president Larry Foyt has confirmed racer also understands that Tatiana Calderon is in the mix for a possible driver as she has ties to rocket. Now this is actually, this was, uh, released by motorsport.com this piece of news that i'm about to share was released by motorsport.com a little while uh before the indycar race on sunday that basically said and hinted that sebastian bourdais most likely ran his final race as a full-time indycar driver as he does indeed have i believe a deal to run the full imsa schedule next year with chip ganassi racing um this deal being made possibly means that AJ Foyt Racing is going to either need to find somebody to take over the 14 car or find two drivers to split the 14 car with Sebastian Bourdais, find another driver to split the car with Sebastian Bourdais. Um, If Bourdais is truly, you know, put his IndyCar full-time racing days behind us, it's definitely sad, not the way he wanted to go out. But actually, I I will say that he has had some very good runs the last couple of races uh, for that team. I believe he had a top 10, almost a top five, on Sunday um, at, at uh, Long Beach, which, you know, not surprising. Four days, one at Long Beach before. Uh, he's really good there. Um, but just definitely uh, kind of sad to see Bourdais kind of go out like that. Nobody really n- knew until it happened that it was probably going to be his last uh, race as a full-time IndyCar driver. But yeah. again, you know, if AJ Foyt is is saying, "Oh, we might go to three cars next year," and then Bourdais is saying, "Oh, I kind of probably ran my last race as a full time IndyCar driver," maybe certain things haven't been set in stone yet, and certain things could change. But we do know that Bourdais is committed to run the full IMSA schedule next year. So, due to clashes, obviously with Sebring at Tex and Texas next year, you know, there's no possible way he can run the full time schedule and still be in the mix for it. But um, we'll see. Now, that also poses another question that if in the event, let's say Seb decides not to, and, he, and you know, I don't know. I don't know what he could do. I don't know what the status of the 48 will be next year, whether Jimmy is going to run a full seat campaign or if he's going to run just, you know, Indy 500 and not Texas or Indy and Gateway and not Texas or all of the ovals. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see. But, um, you know, I would wonder, given the ties to Ganassi, if Ganassi could pull Bourdais for a couple of those rides that Johnson doesn't run, um, if he can't get Kanan. I think Kanan, but I think the Kanan deal is still for two years, so I think Kanan still should be in that ride for, for, another, for another year. I don't know, maybe I was spitballing that, but definitely interesting it definitely interesting uh, possibilities to talk about in terms of silly season. Yunko's yeah. um, Hollinger Racing has signed Callum Islet this past week to drive the number 77 Chevrolet full-time in 2022. Great news for the uh, 2020 F1, F2 runner-up, Callum Islet, who I've always said is probably one of the more talented guys in racing right now, younger guys in racing right now. Um, and he deserves a good shot like this, and I'm happy to see him come over here and give IndyCar a shot. Um, I'm happy to see it. I'm I'm happy to see that. Uh, I hope that him and Yunkos can have better luck than they've had the last three races. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely good to see. 
Uh, and then Ed Carpenter Racing has uh, re-signed Renus VK for next year. No surprise there. I think that was done and dusted for a while. But the big news that broke this morning, this Monday morning, was uh, Simon Pagano is actually leaving Penske Racing. He has signed with Meyer Shank Racing for 2022, and he will take over the number 60 from the departing Jack Harvey. This is pretty huge. So now you have Elio and Simon Pagano on the same team with yeah. Meyer Shank. Meyer Shank just robbed it. Roger Penske. I mean, Roger Penske has no idea what he just lost, but he maybe he does. I think he knows who he just lost, but now he's going to have to be competing with Elio and and, and Pagano as opposed to them racing for him as they have done for what seems to be the better part of the last decade. There's a lot of technical Elio for 20 years, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of technical knowledge in that team now from from Penske. I know know it's a Honda versus a Chevrolet, but there's still a lot of technical uh, smart there that i mean jack harvey just hasn't had the opportunity to be in that type of a team but um he's helped build the team to where Harvey's Harvey's now you bring elio and pagino in there yeah. who have you know years of knowledge at uh, running at the front i mean you've got now five indy 500s between the two of them you've got an indycar champion now in pagino you've got an imsa you got imsa champions in or well pagino was a alms champion but i don't know can you you could kind of put the two together. The two together. I guess you counting ALMS, Grand Am, merging when they merged, I guess, does that still fall under the IMSA umbrella of history? Uh, Can you I would call Adino yeah, and an IMSA champion in the same regard as Elio? Could you? Even though it was done in ALMS? Do you consider Sebastian Bourdais an IndyCar champion? Yes, absolutely. Then yes. Then that okay, is then. your question. Okay, that, that makes sense then. Sorry, that's kind of oh, like but saying yeah, a lot of a lot of experience and a lot of talent coming to Meyer Shank, uh, yeah. which is probably going to help them a lot. Not saying Jack Harvey didn't help them, but I think Harvey, well, Harvey's going to be better off with Ray Hall because I think he's not going to be relied upon as much as he was at Meyer Shank to give them all, as much data. You know, Ray Hall's going to have the data that you know, that they have given Sato and Graham's performances. And they can just sit there and apply that to Harvey, and all Harvey's got to do is just go drive the car. Um, and I think that's going to be—I hope, I, I would think that that would be more beneficial to Harvey's career because, um, you know, I've seen him in Indy Lights when the when I watched him in Indy Lights when his—he's a Freedom One Hundred winner for the record. Yeah. So I mean, again, this guy knows his way around Indy. But w- even when he was in Indy Lights, he was the kind of guy who, um, you know. He just needs to get in the car and drive, and you'll see that talent come out. And so it's a really good move for him. And then the worst kept secret in the IndyCar paddock has also been confirmed. With Roman Grosjean is mo- moving to Andretti Autosport in 2022 to drive the number 28, with DHL continuing to sponsor the car. So it's not going to be Hunter Ray. We're going to think it's Hunter Ray, and we're going to have to tell ourselves it's Grosjean. Um, but another interesting new- note to this is there's been a lot of speculation is how is Andretti Autosport going to move forward with these new drivers, this new driver in Grosjean. We are going to see officially, because there's been, if you look at Andretti Autosport, they got four cars. You've got Colton Herta, who is miles ahead of Rossi. Rossi is about mid-pack at best, can usually knock off of top five. But then you have Hinch and RHR, who have been just back markers most of the season. Now, yeah. this is contrast to... Everybody who's been watching IndyCar for the past decade who will know that Hinch and RHR are not back markers. They are front runners. They have been front runners. 
Um, Hinch is an Indy 500 pole sitter. Hunter Ray is an IndyCar champion and an Indy 500 champion. You know, these guys are are no slouches. And just because Hinch has been out for a year and just because Hunter Ray is getting up there in age, it doesn't mean that they've lost their ability. So it's led, and especially with Rossi kind of struggling as well as he did, it, it leads a lot of people in the paddock as well as fans to kind of question, well, is Andretti Autosport putting all of their eggs in the Colton Herta basket? You know, and, and as a result, they're letting their other three teams kind of fall by the wayside. I kind of wonder if um, a managerial change is on the horizon at Andretti. That could be. That could be as well. Um, but it makes you wonder, you know, we're going to see, like, because we know, we have, we now are know an expected idea of how Grosjean is going to perform in IndyCar. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that Dale Coyne, Rick Ware car, even though it has two of probably the most infamous team owner names in all of auto ra- American auto racing. I mean, for years there, Dale Coyne probably shouldn't have had a team to begin with. And Rick Ware, his NASCAR team is really bad. Um, but you put those two together and run Roman Grosjean in the car and it equals success somehow. Makes <laughs> you the talent of Grosjean. Yes, it does. But we are really going to see um, if it's, it's, it's on the part of if, it's, if it was driver or if it was team. And personally, if I'm being completely honest, I'm kind of leaning towards it was team, which yeah. is why I'm curious to see where Hunter Ray winds up. Because now the Pagano is on his way to uh, Meyer Shank. That kind of closes a, a door that I think uh, many, including myself, had kind of linked Hunter Ray to. Kind of figured there was a mutual connection that could be brought in there. Um, you know, he'd run for him in the past. You know, I, it it seemed like potentially they but but now again it doesn't you know it doesn't leave ray hall off the table as well because you still have that rumor that oh maybe takuma sato is on his way to dale coin yeah and it take his honda backing with him now now you get this hunter ray again like i said there's prior connections hunter ray has driven for ray hall letterman before in the past yeah is there a possibility that they could reconnect and hunter ray could go out there and be fine if they elect to go Hunter Ray Harvey Ray Hall, I think that's fine. But, you know, we'll see. And I know you're telling me 22 minutes. There's a lot of news, guys. There's a, a lot, lot of news. news. Um, let's move on to Supercars here. Uh, we'll try and run through this here as fast as I can because Supercars has announced how they will resume the season. So they canceled the scheduled Queensland race day. They basically have canceled races all the way since July. Since the end of July, they have canceled all the races through and they have rescheduled a bunch of races. Now, they have to run final 12 races in order to meet their television contracts in order uh, those parameters. So they have to run these final races. So what they're, how they're going to do that is they're going to run a quadruple header at Sydney Motorsports Park. Now all the races, all four races will be run under the lights and feature different layouts of the track. They will then head to Bathurst to finish the season with a week long racing undercard leading up to the Bathurst 1000. The season will resume with the Sydney Super Night on October 29th through 31st, with a race occurring every single weekend until October. Excuse me, not October, December, sorry. Until December. So you are going to see a supercars race starting basically from Halloween every weekend until the first week week of December. Not bad. And it's going to culminate, and that week-long, the six days of Bathurst 1000 undercard race, we're talking Super 2, we're talking Super Utes, we're talking potentially S5000. We're talking, I mean, uh, Australia, all types of Australian touring cars. I mean, we are talking, I mean, if you are a fan down there in Bathurst right now, you yeah. better be getting your tickets because 
you are going to want to camp out and just sit back, take the whole week off, and watch six whole days of racing at Bathurst. I mean, I cannot think of anything cooler for a motorsport fan than that. I can't. No, I, <laughs> not not that exists right now. Anyways, no, I no. can't. That's a pretty cool. That's Six a pretty... whole days of racing, all leading up to the Bathurst One Thousand. That's pretty yeah. cool. That yeah. is pretty awesome. That yeah. is pretty cool. You are though. You guys down under. I mean, I feel so bad that you guys have to deal with all the COVID crap that you're dealing with right now. But at least you guys can say you could go to Bathurst and see six whole days of racing. Yeah, man, that is cool. Um, and then the next piece of news here, some silly season news f- uh, fell. Scott Pye has indeed re-signed with Team 18 on a new two-year deal. That's the only silly season news in Supercars that has dropped. Because keep in mind, we've been talking and following Supercars, silly season news and rumors. There's still uh, some openings, some gaps that need to be filled for next season. Um, and now that we know when the season will conclude, maybe we'll start to see some contracts being drawn up and signed, hopefully here within the next few weeks or maybe months we'll see what happens maybe some guys move some guys stay we'll see what happens definitely we're probably in for some interesting shakeups uh over down there in supercars now finally moving on to nascar here ford and toyota have unveiled their new camping world truck series bodies that will debut in the 2022 season expect chevrolet to debut debut theirs this weekend at talladega as the race is named the chevrolet silverado 250 did you see um, the Toyota? Did you like the Toyota? Yes, I did. I liked it a lot. You know, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was new. I'm kind of, you know, it's kind of going to be weird to see the Toyota namesake rather than their marquee logo on the front the of the truck. Gonna, I think the same is going to be said for Chevrolet. I think it's going to say it's Chevrolet across right. the front. Um, I was surprised that Ford didn't because I see a lot of Ford trucks with that now. Yeah, but the, I don't think those are um, – those, those are like Ford those Raptors. Don't yeah, they don't look as good as the Toyota and the Chevrolets. No offense to Ford. I mean, they make a they make a good looking truck, but I I like what the the look that Ford went with, and I like what Toyota. It's a new direction. It's kind of a new era for the truck series in, in a way, and I like it. Yeah, it is very interesting. It, it's it's going to be in, it's just a new new design. It's not really new entire chassis. So the racing is going to stay the same, but. Yeah, the chassis you know. is still the same for at least a few more years until they integrate what the Cup Series has into the Xfinity and Truck Series. All right, uh, next piece of news here. A limited liability company whose mailing address is the same as Hendrick Automotive Group has bought the Chip Ganassi Racing property for $10.2 million. The sale, the date of the sale was September 3rd. Caribas County property tax records show this. The Charlotte Observer pr- reports that Trackhouse is expected to lease the property from Hendrick. Cabarrus hmm. County, just to let you know. Cabarrus County. Cabarrus County, thank you. I'm not yeah. from Char- I'm not from North Carolina. I don't I don't know most of that. I know most of the weird town names in Indiana, but I don't know Carib Caribus County. I apologize. Um Justin Allgaier will pilot the number seventy seven for Spire Motorsports this weekend at Talladega with backing from Brandt Agriculture, while Justin Haley pilots the number sixteen for Colleague Racing. Probably a good call there. I'm actually uh, again, Haley has quickly established himself, himself, in my opinion, as simply put, one of the best plate drivers in NASCAR. Not plate, I oh. guess, but super speedway drivers in NASCAR. Yeah. That, yeah. So, colleague, if they're trophy hunting, I know why they put it. They, they probably swiped uh, Haley from his normal Spire ride because yeah. if they're trophy hunting, I want Justin Haley in my car. I'm just, and if we, we've seen that this car can win. 
So, well, and and Allgaier's not too bad at the speedways either. And no, I'm not saying Allgaier is bad hang, either, but if you'll just hang back on the back and let like I'll let you guys wreck. I'll be there at the <laughs> end. I'll put my Brant 77 Spire Chevrolet in victory lane. Don't you worry. I like I, I like this move. I like this swap that, that happened here. That's why I noted it here. It's, I love it. No, I, I think it's great. I mean, it's good news. It's interesting news that we see that. Um I'm curious. I'm I'm curious to see how that'll run. So we'll see we'll see what happens on Sunday. Yeah. Um, final piece of news here before we move on to the featured paint scheme. A big domino has fallen in the NASCAR Xfinity Series silly season as Daniel Hemrick will move from Joe Gibbs Racing to Colleague Racing to take over the number 11 in 2022. Until recently, Hemrick was expected to return to JGR next season, uh, it, uh, including those within the team. However, uh, Hemrick did hint over the past weekend that uh, his part of his decision was the potential to return to the Cup Series with Colleague. So part of the reason Colleague may be bringing Hemrick in is sponsorship-driven, as it was announced that Nutrient Ag Solutions will not return to Colleague next season, which does put Jeb Burton's future with the team into question. Now, speaking of that, I do believe Ward Burton, um, Ward Burton released a statement that he was working on trying to get some new sponsorship for Jeb, and yeah. I know Jeb was working himself. They have. The Burtons, Ward, and Jeb both have pretty solid relationships with their sponsors. It's just a matter of trying to bring them on for some more funding um, to try and keep Jeb in that car. Because I think Jeb's been really good in, in, in that agree. car. He I hasn't agree. won yet, uh, which I think is coming. He won oh, he did win. Sorry, he did. You're right. He did win at Talladega. I'm sorry. I Sometimes I forget certain things. I'm sorry. I'm forgetful sometimes. He did win Talladega. But um, he hasn't really performed probably as well as AJ or um, Justin has, but I think Jeb is, is right half. up there. At least the second half of the season. He's yeah, got second a half. really good start this season, then kind of fell off. I wonder if that's like this first year kind of chemistry, getting everything worked out, getting the bugs worked out. I would love to see him get a second year at college. Just to see oh, I would love to see it too. Happen. I think he would. I would think he would perform quite well in the second year. Yeah. Um but Josh, I think it's time to move on since that was all of the news and I talked uh, for about a half hour. Well, that's not bad. Um, yeah, a lot of news to share, a lot of cool stuff going on, a lot of silly season, as you mentioned. Um, I I can't wait to see what other dominoes fall. I, we're hearing that there's a couple more dominoes that are going to fall in the Xfinity Series, and we also have some more left to fall on the IndyCar side as well. Um, so the featured paint scheme this week, uh, the 2009 NASCAR Nationwide Series. Um, is the one we uh, selected, or I guess I selected. I, I'm sorry. I, I Rob would probably point that out to me. I don't know. I said I texted Rob. Hi, Rob. 2009 NASCAR Nationwide Series, and I forget what you said, but you liked it. Um, I, don't you know, I mean, look, you pick them, and th- this is how it works. You pick the season, the, the series, in the year, and then I just pick my favorite scheme from that. It makes my life so much easier because I don't have to worry about what I want to talk about or you know what paint scheme I'm thinking about. You know, I just go in completely random and I go through you know and I go through J Ski or Open Wheel Thirty Three or whatever, and I'm just like, hmm, that one. <laughs> you know, I like that one the best, or I I have a great story about this one. You know, or something like that. Well, Rob, why don't you tell us a story about the one you picked? Because I like yours. Yeah, I love this. This one's crazy. You know, as you if longtime listeners to the show know, I have a big, very big Casey Kane fan. So when Casey Kane was racing down in the Nationwide Series, I actually loved it. You know, I loved when Casey Kane ran in the Nationwide Series because I always loved um, just basically getting another opportunity to watch him during the weekend. Um, yeah. So this one that I'm gonna, I'm picking now is part of that weird transition here. Um, 
were for Casey Kane and his team, Richard Petty Motorsports. And there's a lot of weird transitions in 2009, partially because of, you know, the housing crisis. The economy was really kind of in the tank around this time. You know, teams were merging, teams were folding, teams were contracting, some were expanding, most were contracting, you know, or they were expanding via mergers, what have you. It was just a very odd time to be a NASCAR fan. It was really truth. Just there's a very, there's a subset of very odd things, you know, happening. Um, And one of the oddest things that happened was at the Charlotte, the fall Charlotte race in 2009, Casey Kane drove a number 43 auto value bumper to bumper Toyota Camry. And I'm dead serious when I say it's a Toyota Camry. I'm serious about this. Casey Kane drove a Toyota Camry. Now, this wasn't the first time he'd driven a Toyota Camry. He'd actually, this was because Braun Racing and Richard Petty Motorsports went into a brief partnership around this time in the Nationwide Series. They were going to field Casey Kane in a couple of races. Now, Casey Kane had driven for Braun uh, in the past, or at least his predecessor, Atkins Racing, from uh, 2003 to 2005. Now, so there was a, a relationship there, and and Richard Petty Motorsports, you know, were they and Evernham, the prior Evernham Racing, you know, they had a kind of a nationwide team that was, I wouldn't say successful, but not, but you know, kind of a mid-pack nationwide team, this Bush Series team, um, and so Richard Petty Motorsports and Braun Racing get into a partnership. And they decide we're going to field Casey Kane in the Fall Charlotte race in a number forty-three Auto Value bumper to bumper. Toyota, and it's we're gonna put Petty Blue on it. Yes, and I'm telling you, this featured paint scheme because we're talking about the paint scheme does feature Petty Blue. So you are looking at a real, actual image. If you look, pull this up on your phone. You're looking for it. You're looking for a real, actual image that Casey Kane did in fact drive a Petty Blue Toyota Camry in 2000. What's that STP Red called? Uh, what is it? Dayglow War? Day Dayglow Day- Red or something? Dayglow, yeah. Dayglow. Yeah, yeah. That that it, it, that's, that's on the side. I mean, this yeah. is a petty car. It is a Richard Petty car, but you would not believe it that it's on a Toyota body. Um, now, this is the, the crazier part about this is this is this offset story is that Casey Kane actually made a couple other starts for Broad Racing that year, but in their number 10 car. Now, yeah. the most interesting part about this was instead of using the regular Braun Racing uh, team font. When Casey Kane drove the 10, uh, which again was a Camry, while Kane was driving a Dodge in the Cup Series, he was driving a Toyota in the Nationwide Series, but he wasn't technically driving for a different team. He was driving for a different team that was partnered with his Cup team, so it was, I guess, okay somehow. This would never happen nowadays. This would just never happen nowadays. Um, But anyway, so he drove a number 10, and... When Kane was in that car specifically, they changed the number 10 to the Evernham font, the number yes. 10. So yes. it had the spikes at the back of the zero, as mm-hmm. opposed to the normal 10 that Braun r- ran at the time. So just these very crazy partnership that dissolved almost immediately as it came. Like they only ran a handful of races with Casey Kane in this partnership. And then as soon as Richard Petty Motorsports and Yates Racing merged, I mean, this part that partnership was gone because now, okay, they're committed to Fords and Yates has a a nationwide team. Okay. Now we're just move Paul Menard over here. We're going to, and Casey Kane ended up actually driving for Braun racing again the next year in 2010. Um, uh, because Jason Leffler, I believe had gone to, um, was it Kyle Busch motorsports that he ran or was that, that was later. That was in 2012. He, I, but I, I just, or he, or he had gone to a different car. I think they moved him to a different car, uh, at the time. 
Um, I might, I, I should have double checked this, but um, that was a very interesting time in the nationwide series when you had a, a, a Richard Petty entered car drive have Petty Blue, but it was a Toyota Camry. Now I, I just, I have to wonder how many, you know, old diehard NASCAR fans on their deathbeds were sent into a heart attack when they tuned into the nationwide race that night and saw that car running around the track. <laughs> I wonder that. But anyway, Josh, that was my pay- featured paint scheme. Go ahead. And unless you have anything else to add about mine, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give the floor back over to you. Well, I was just going to share. I looked it up for, for Leffler. He ran the 10 and the 30 as well as the 38 in many races over the next two years. Okay, so I guess he split the deal with split the thirty eight with Casey Kane then. Yeah, something okay, like that. that. Makes sense. Which yeah. I was again, I was totally okay with because I, I always felt like Casey Kane needs to be in a number thirty eight Great Clips car, regardless. Like I just need any time he's in the Nationwide Series, he has to be in a thirty eight Great Clips car. If he's not in a thirty eight Great Clips car, to me, it was just wrong. So yeah. when he made when he made that return in, in, to that car in twenty ten, I was like, everything's right with the world again. Everything's fine you know everything's gonna be fine Kane's in the 38 great clips it's cool I mean yeah it's a Toyota but whatever who cares he ended up driving a Toyota in 2011 anyway uh yeah I uh I uh picked one that was a one-off scheme and uh the number five degree V12 Chevrolet driven by Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Atlanta in the fall this car just always stuck out to me. I've always liked it. Um, I wish I had a diecast of it, but I don't think they made any 164th scale diecast of it. They only made 124th scale. So this car um, was gold uh, on the hood and the front fenders over the over the top of the wheel and then onto a roof. Then you had like this black streak in the middle, um, kind of spawned out from the tire and went up to the back and the rear deck was black as well and then he had white along the sides and the rear quarter panel the 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 five was white on the roof with uh gold and black accents and then the number on the doors was was gold with black accents i just always liked the way this car looked now you also might be saying hey you're describing to me a car that brad kozlowski drove in the 88 car you're right he did i didn't like the 88 on it that's why i chose the five I don't know why, like, it's the same darn car, just a different number, but it's amazing to me how a number can change it. Like, let me throw this out to you. Imagine the DuPont car with a five on it. It just doesn't look the same. Just you saw it in the truck series. You saw it in the truck series, but imagine it with a five in, the, uh, in, in a car. It just doesn't imagine look the same. Imagine if they rent with the original number, the 46. Yeah, that would be. Then tell me how wrong that would look. That 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 I have pictures of that. I don't want to. I just about bought a custom diecast of that car one time. Just about did. No way. But, but the bid got too high. I'm like, uh, for a car oh, that, yeah. for yeah, I don't, I don't want it. But anyways, this car, I just like it. I love the gold. I think the gold really does it for me. And V12 also just sounds cool. I think there's just a lot of cool looking and sounding things about this car that I like. Uh, and Junior sat on the pole in this race, uh, or in this, uh, yeah, in the race. It was actually conveniently named the Degree V12 300. Good sponsorship connections and plugs there. He led twice for a total of 16 laps, finished third. The race was dominated and won by Mr. Atlanta, Kevin Harvick. Um, back in that day, Kyle Busch was second, I think, in that race. So, 
good pick, picture by us there, Rob. Uh, I mean, you got one for the record books. Ta- obscure and forgotten also would 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 classify this. You could have easily fi- picked that one. It's not forgotten by me. I it's never forgot this car, man. This, this is not obscure. This is strange when it happened. I was like, I don't even know how to feel about this. I'm a Casey Kane fan, and even this feels wrong for me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a lot of weird feelings from that car, and like you're just sitting here, like I can't believe this thing actually existed. So that's the featured paint scheme. Let's move on to the first race we're going to talk about uh, today, and and that's the NASCAR Cup Series uh, race at Las Vegas on Sunday night. How? Wow, we, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Was it on Sunday night? That's stupid. We'll, well, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it later. That, I guess later in the show. Yeah, I I um well f- about this race. First of all, before we get into a little minute details. Las Vegas is one of the few tracks that the package that they're running right now on mile and a half is good. When talk about like a smooth non Darlington or Atlanta track, but I still don't like that the drafting and that it's so momentum driven. I just this don't a, like it. This was a very rare botch, I think, by this five fifty package on the on the mile and a half. I don't understand how the race in the spring was really good. And then the race temperatures were really good. And then Sunday's race was just completely forgettable. I think it's, I I think it's just the cooler temperatures. It was hot. It was nineties out there in Vegas. I mean, that probably had something to do with it. I think the scheduling of this race, I never liked, I, I get that they want Las Vegas to be in the playoffs, but this is, this is something that I'll say. I don't like that they have it this early in the playoffs. Like, I didn't understand when it was a playoff opener. I mean, I feel like if you're going to go to Las Vegas, or you're going to go to the southwestern, the southwestern United States, you, you kind of have to go in either March, February, or November. You know, late October. Or late October. Yes. Yeah. You know, I would prefer them. This is what, it, and I'll say this every time, I'd say, it's because I've stated this before, and I know this has nothing to do with the race. I yeah. stated before on this show that I don't like Phoenix being the finale. I don't know why they haven't just moved the finale to Las Vegas. You'll have better weather. You're again finishing the season in Las Vegas in a big market. Like yeah. I thought, the reason why I wanted, I, I want, I prefer them to end the season in Miami is because I think it's a big market. It's a yeah. bigger market that they need to be in. You you end the season in Las Vegas. That's a big market in and of itself. You get a lot of publicity down there as well. That's, that's just as huge. I mean, if you can't end it in New York or LA, I would end it in Las Vegas. That's just my opinion. Not Phoenix. Phoenix is mid major market at best. It's not Las Vegas. It's not going to have the appeal at Las Vegas. You hold it in Las Vegas. You get in November, you get cool temperatures and you get the added allure and aura of you know whole it being Las Vegas. Yeah. So again, that's that was something that confused me because I didn't like how they started it in the day. I mean, I understand day to night races. I don't hate day to night races. I kind of like them back in the day. I kind of miss them now. But I don't think that they they should occur on Sunday because you know the problem is you're you know I'm sitting here. And Do you want to know I'm, the reason why it's a Sunday race? Yes, I'd like to hear the reason why. I, I believe it was Bob Pockers who tweeted it, that the reason it's on Sunday is because the LA, the LA, the Las Vegas Tourist Bureau pays like $2 million for this race weekend to happen. Okay. And they want it to be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so more people are there over the weekends to go to the casinos. Well, that's totally fair, but again... That's why it's on a Sunday, though. That's why the race is on a Sunday. 
but then again, that's totally fair. That's absolutely fair. I don't mind that. But if they're going to fork over $2 million for this thing to happen and you want so desperately a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event to happen, you're not going to get good weather if you're trying to run this race at 3 p.m. Eastern time on a on a Sunday. You know, it's going to be hot. You're not going to get enough people that are going to be wanting to go out there, especially not in mid-late September when it's still pretty hot in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, again, going back to my desire, I would rather them just do that in the f- in for the finale because then you go, okay, truck champion on Friday, yeah. nation or Xfinity champion on Saturday, cup champion on Sunday. Problem solved. Yeah. You know, and everybody goes home happy because it's cooler. You know, yeah. you can have that, you know, I, I, you don't have to have it at night. You can have it during the day. You can have the race end before Sunday night football. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like they deal with the Phoenix championship race. But it wouldn't be in LA, in, in, in Phoenix, excuse me, in Las Vegas, right. which would be, be a bigger Vegas. market that would right. be more valuable, yeah. I would think, to NASCAR. I agree. I think it'd be. I think it'd be a great place. I mean, I. I and then again, we talked about this in the past. I think it'd be. I think it's one of those tracks that needs to be in a rotation. If they do a true rotation mm-hmm. of, of tracks for the hosting the championship race, Las Vegas is absolutely in that conversation. And like you talked about, you know, the race in the spring was a lot better because the the, the track was cooler, the air temperature was cooler. Well, if we want to have a good race, it's not going to happen in September. It's going to probably happen in November. You're going to get the best race. In November at Las Vegas, you know, if you really want an exciting race to end the season on, Las Vegas in November sounds like a great opportunity to make that happen. It'll be just a perfect, probably a perfect temperature. I would imagine mid fifties, maybe maybe lower sixties. I would imagine. I can't imagine it would be any higher than that. I've never been to Las Vegas, so I don't know what it gets around that time. What the average temperature is around that time? I think it'd be at least cooler probably, than it is now. I mean, yeah, it would definitely be cooler than it is now. Now next year they're moving the race to October. Again, we talk, we didn't talk about this when the NASCAR schedule was released, but they're moving this race to October 16th next year, which is whew, not the best day to have a race at Las Vegas, let's just say. Because if you recall what is the 10-year the yeah. anniversary yeah. of October 16th, yeah. 2011 is coming up, and if yeah. you don't know what that date is, well, I'm surprised you're listening to this show, to be honest with you. <laughs> If you don't know what that date is, because it's a date that I that's an etched in my memory forever, it will forever. It's 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 as unforgettable. And this is I'm not I don't want to compare these two because they're incomparable by grand scheme of things. But to a race fan, like I remember this like most people remember nine eleven. You know what I mean? I'm not. I don't want to. You remember this race like most people remember Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, or, or NASCAR fans. It's it's a it's a very it's a yeah, similar to yeah. NASCAR fans. I guess yeah. maybe the nine eleven comparison was off, but you know. But you're talking about a, an event that you saw on TV that was horrific oh. and you know shocking to you that that impacted yeah. you. If you're, if you're going for that, yeah, it, that's, that's what I'm. That's why yeah. I, I'm, I'm relating to it. I'm not saying they're on the same level because obviously one is a, a complete national tragedy and one is just an auto racing tragedy, right. um, but. In terms of emotions, that's kind of what I would equate it to. Those are the kind of emotions that you go through. You just you're so shocked and horrified by what you're seeing on TV that you know it. it it's it etched in your brain. You never you you remember where you were. You remember what you were doing. You remember every single little part of that day. And I remember that day, October sixteenth, twenty eleven. Literally like it was yesterday. I literally remember the things I was doing on that day. 
I remember where I was when I watched that accident. I remember, you know, all of this. And we could, we could probably talk about this on October 16th if we want. But I'm just, I'm just, just, oh, God, I am just appalled by that scheduling decision. But we'll see if that maybe makes for a better race because maybe moving it, you know, three weeks ahead could maybe mean a little bit cooler temperatures for the Las Vegas race and maybe make it a better race than what we saw this year. I don't know. Maybe the new car is going to turn that all moot, I guess, but I'm curious to see where that goes, I guess. Yeah. If, if maybe moving it uh, three weeks later has any impact on the overall quality of the race, because we haven't even talked about the race, but I don't really know what else there was to talk about. I mean, uh, the, I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing to talk about is just that stage two decision of the Hendrick pit strategy. That, that was really, bizarre in and of itself. That was probably the most interesting thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, the only the, the winner out of that, the only person who was able to escape that, really, I mean, William Byron kind of escaped it. He had a good car, um, was Chase. Um, but Kyle Larson was was marred back in traffic. He was never able to get back up there. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was that, that. I didn't understand their decision to not pit during that caution to at least take fuel, splash fuel, where all these other teams are doing it. Um, this is a I mean, NASCAR like just gives you some of these cautions. I don't understand why you don't just in, you 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 should be incorporating some of the stuff into your strategy at some point and and kind of well, know they, what well, other people are doing. Well, the caution was for Gase, and that well, was a I know, I know, I know that. But, but yeah, that. they gave, like they gave you some like, like yes, you're they they you get two guaranteed cautions a race. That's what you get. So but, you should be able to strategize around that. That's what. I'm yeah, saying. and you knew yet you had you you weren't going to make. If you pitted during the caution for stage two or stage one, you weren't going to make it all the way to the end of stage two. So when the Gase caution comes out, which by the way, you know, it sounds like he's he's okay. He was he was transported to a hot, that was a hard hit. Is this this is another question? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but is that car coming apart and crashing as hard as it is? Is that a NASCAR issue or is that a Rick Ware builds these really bad unsafe cars issue? I, I I don't know how to answer that one. Uh, I just think I just know it was a very interesting hit. That I'm gonna I'm gonna pose our listeners to answer that. Yeah, is that, the Joey that... Gase crash an accident that NASCAR can do something to address, or is that something oh. that just comes down to Rick Ware building faulty cars? I I, I I'm sure NASCAR is going to look into it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying like the the lug nut and the wheel coming off. That's not like. Rick Ware's fault specifically. I mean, it's a team's kind of failure, but it's not something that had to do with the car. But I've noticed, and I think when when we were at Bristol, you noticed James Davison. I, they unloaded the, the off the off the hauler. That car was broken off the hauler. Yeah, you know, and so it, it makes you wonder sometimes. Well, if if they're just showing up to the track with these cars that are pretty much just barely functioning as race cars, that's okay. And night, oh, that's. Quote, I'm using air quotes here. That's okay in 1992. That's not acceptable in 2021. Yeah, I mean, especially when Rick Ware owns four freaking charters. You expect the 51, by the way, if the 51, I saw this on Reddit. Someone posted like the bottom uh, 30, I think, in points and then the to, to cigarette bonuses and charters and stuff. The 51, if he loses two spots in the overall, that owner's, owner's points the petty wear charter will be revoked well because they, he finished below that in 19 and 20 so 21 would be the third year and that would revoke it 
Well, that that charter would finish below it. That charter, because the way they have it worded, the yeah. charter would finish below um, three years in a row, right. which they can revoke, which I don't think I've ever had this situation come up because you can swap charters around, which I'm not a fan of. I think, you know, you stick with the charter. I don't think you should be able to... But that's like Rick Ware's main charter is the 51. That's the Petty Ware charter. Like well, that's his main one. Well, he does well that 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 charter might get revoked. It, it yeah, should I mean get, it's um, it's legitimately possible if Cody Ware does not Which we're like, going which which we'll come into like who does who do they give that to? Do they, when it gets revoked does NASCAR turn around and sell it again to They someone? probably have to yeah, I would imagine they would just sell it to the highest bidder. They would just start give it a starting bid at however much it would normally cost or however much they value the charter at. Yeah. And then just which Allow I people not to bid on very, it from there. It's not like, going to be valued it, I, I mean, high. I imagine it would be like, you know, any other, like, like a police auction or a bank auction where you, you just come <laughs> in, you seize the charter, and you just say, all right, anybody who wants this, we're going to start the bid at this amount, and petty wear charter, going once, going twice, sold to whoever, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. That's a bad deal. I, I, I. Why am I rooting for this not to happen? Because I feel like that just turned into a circus and, it would be and a black eye for NASCAR. It would be a big black eye um, for NASCAR because, like, like you said, you just you just drop police auction like nothing. All you would need is like, oh, oh crap! What's the guy, the officer's name? Buford T. Justice to be running the <laughs> the, the police auction here. All right, toothpick and mouth is like, all right. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, okay, we're not going to go that way because I'm not very okay. good at impersonations. But the race itself at Las Vegas is good. Let's bring it back to the race. The um, race itself was a race, which it's a race is something I've said about a lot of cup races this year. It was yeah. a race I, that happened. It, you it, know, it, when someone funny. asks you about it, you know, yeah. could, hey, write a summary about this race. This race happened. This yeah. driver won. What else do I have to say? Hey, I, have, I have to fill nearly. 400 more words. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Uh, you start talking about the next race, um, which is going to be at Talladega. Uh, I, I'm not, again, it's this package. I've heard on Doorbell Clear that like it might be like a 650 package next year. They're going to split it. I really, oh, again, I don't care what it is. This race, I will stand by this. This race would have been a better race if you had low downforce. But you well, have. We're not going to talk specifically about the Xfinity race, but I could bring it up and I could say yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed the Xfinity race yes. almost 10 times more than I enjoyed the Cup race. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Because the Xfinity race had everything I wanted. It didn't have – I mean, okay, the Cup race had some really cool and crazy restarts. But outside of that, the Cup race was entirely forgettable. The Xfinity yeah. race did not have really crazy, cool, and wild restarts. But you know what it did have? Close side-by-side -side racing, passing, comers and goers, tire wear, tire degradation, and interesting pit strategy. Yep. And at everything cool. I could ever have asked for in a race, I was thoroughly enjoyed by the Saturday night race. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I actually was – This actually, I'll be honest with you. The Xfinity race got me so excited because I was like, oh, yeah, man, the Cup Series. Oh, yeah, wait, don't they have the – package that works best for uh one, one and a half milers oh they do okay this might be a good race and then by the end of the first stage i was like wow this took all the wind out of me i'm gonna watch this wrestling pay-per-view instead sorry yeah i i i, I don't and here's the, the thing like that that race starts three four five wide are supposed to be exciting right i find them utterly boring i'm like this isn't racing this is just this is this is high speed gambling fitting it's in las vegas it's high oh speed God. gambling 
Like, you don't know what's going to happen next. Like, Talladega's next week, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't get it. So, uh, that's, that's Las Vegas. Denny Hamlin won the race. Chase Elliott tried to run him down late in the race, but probably because of that big butt spoiler that's on, on that car, he couldn't get close enough. Halen was too strong. Chase wasn't strong enough. No, that finish bothered the heck out of me because I'm sitting here thinking, man, I saw guys in the Xfinity race all Saturday run down and catch the leader. Yep. It was possible. Yep. I saw Josh that Barry. happen all race. Josh Berry did it, but it wasn't just him. It happened in the first two stages too. Yep. Guys, leaders would be would just be gone, and then the second place guy would run him down and pass him, and it was like, all right, this is good. This is good stuff. As soon as I I remember the commentators, Rick Allen's like, is he going to get to the back of the eleven? And I'm like, if he yep. does, he's not going to pass him. <laughs> and I was right because he did get just barely there. He got within about a car length, maybe half a car length of him. Yeah. And then just stalled out. And I was like, mm, I saw that happening. I knew it was like, that's going to happen. He's going to get, I mean, and Chase, this is the thing that bothered me the most, is that Chase clearly, anybody who is watching this, cl- Chase Elite clearly has the better car. He has the yeah. better tires. He has better everything than Hamlin. But yep. because Hamlin has clean air and track position, he could block the track, run whatever line he wants, and be totally fine. The only what, thing what, that's what, when Chase had that run around the outside, what would what, what, uh, Hamlin do the next lap around? Ran the high side, forced Chase to go low. His car wasn't as good there, and Hamlin had the run off, off, off yeah. the top side, whereas you know the Xfinity Series, you could re- re- reverse those roles, and you could it get side by side. Yeah, they yeah. get side by side. Yeah, I, I, again, we, we, we beat that horse. We've beat that horse to death so much that there's nothing left. There's nothing like, materialistically left of that horse. I feel like the entirety of this race, this is the thing that's crazy to me, is if you've looked, I don't know if you've seen the Jeff Gluck poll, but it's, enti- it's, it's entirely flipped from last week. Like last week, everybody agreed. Bristol was awesome. Everybody loved Bristol. It was the best race of all time. We go to Las Vegas, which, again, had a really solid, pretty good spring race. And everybody unanimously pans. It's like this is awful. This is garbage. This is terrible. This is. Well, let, 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 I, 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 oh, okay. Well, woo, wow. Eighteen. Totally we are like a plug for Jeff Gluck here. Jeff, we promise we're, we're not just robbing you off. We're giving you, we're giving you some props here. We know you don't want to do it anymore. But uh, currently, as of twelve thirty three on September twenty eighth, uh, twelve thirty three in the morning. Uh, there's 18,204 votes cast. 23% say yes, it was a good race. 77% say it was a uh, a no, and there's 8 hours, 43 minutes left. I 77% mean, of NASCAR fans know look, that NASCAR look, can do better, and they well, did on Saturday. And I know like some people have brought up, and I think we may have even brought it up on here as well, I, I can't remember, that the poll could be fans saying, hey, I... I it's biased. No, it's a it's a seven fifty package. I'm going to vote no every time. All right, I don't care how good of a race it was or who won. I'm going to vote no every time. But that should say something, even though that's not the way you should vote. All right, do you think it was a good race or no? All right, in general, when you look at the whole scheme, was it a good race or no? But the fans are saying the seven fifty package doesn't do anything for me. All right. It doesn't do it doesn't do anything for me. I don't like it. It doesn't produce the racing I'm looking for. So they're clearly saying I don't care that the first six laps of a restart are side by side drafting. That's not that doesn't do anything for me. I want a guy twenty laps into a run who saved his tires or didn't run as hard, able to go up and pass the five cars in front of him 
and leapfrog the field and gain track position. Instead of being stuck behind someone or having to wait for the car in front of me to be uh, held up by lap traffic and loses momentum. That's what NASCAR's fans are saying here. So when you look at Darlington and, and, and well, Atlanta's different. We look at Darlington, they like what they see there. When you when you run Bristol, they like what they see there. What do they have in common? Dover too. What do they have in common? Low downforce, high high horsepower. Now I will say this again. We can move on then to the to the Indy car. That if you run the 550 horsepower and you have low downforce, this race is going to be better. It doesn't matter what the horsepower is to an extent, right? You don't want to go out there with 38 horsepower, but you go out there with 550 horsepower and low downforce. Maybe get the cars off the ground from sucked off the ground a little bit too. Quit take some engineering out of it. You're gonna have a better race every darn time. Just go look at the Xfinity series. Okay, on to uh, Long Beach in IndyCar. Rob, let's just start this thing off with a warm up session. Have you ever seen Elio Castro Nevis that mad before? I mean, I thought Portland he was mad, but this was like a new I level. I don't even know what to say. In fact. All the whole IndyCar race, race weekend was just in general pretty wild because yeah. I, I you're talking about warm up, but heck, even in the qualifying, you had some controversy. You had um, you had you had uh, Ed Jones went off in the final sector, I think it was, and stopped, and they threw a yellow. And every, this was like right when you know guys were getting ready, like right at the very end of the session, and so. I, it was Rosenquist. Rosenquist went through the yellow and at basically full speed, at the, through the yellow zone, basically full speed. Pato Award does the same thing, gets penalized. And the day, or, or doesn't do the same thing, excuse me, he slows down and gets penalized, I guess. And Schmidt, uh, the Errol McLaren, Schmidt Peterson guys were like, hey, we actually have the data in front of us that says Rosenquist didn't slow down and that Pato did you're penalizing the wrong people and uh, and they're like well we're trying to win a championship so by doing this you're screwing us and they were not happy about that so you had controversy there and then you fast forward to the practice the the warm-up session um Alexander Rossi is coming out of pits okay and Elio is is on a flyer lap whatever yeah and Rossi just Rossi just straight cuts off Elio I mean he cuts him off I saw the video and I saw the replay, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, dude, Rossi just cut him off. Like, he didn't give him any room. He didn't care that he was on a flyer. Like, Rossi's just come out of the pits. He's on cold tires. It's a warm-up session. It's a morning warm-up session. And he gives Elio no room, no space, no slack who's on a flying lap. If I'm sitting here, if I'm Elio, I'm just as pissed as him. I mean, Rossi, they ask Rossi. Rossi's like, uh, uh, I don't care. Uh, whatever. You know, and Elio's out here dropping F-bombs on Peacock. Yeah, you I know. know, and th- have you ever heard Elio swear? Because I never have. I don't think I've ever heard him say pissed before. So to hear him say pissed and then drop fudge on. No, I've on heard him say pissed before. Edmonton, twenty ten. I've heard him say okay, pissed. Well, that's a long time ago. Um, Doesn't matter. Yeah, I still yeah, never yeah, forgot yeah, I, that because he got I, screwed out of that race, and I haven't forgot about it. Brian Barnard screwed him out of that race, and I'll never forget about it. I haven't heard him say anything like that before. He's always so been calm, cool, and collecting. Like, that's what shocked me about Portland two weeks ago. I'm like, dang, he's mad. He's mad. That was like puppy dog tantrum compared to what what, what we saw next to his pit box there after that. I, I thought he was going to bite Kevin Lee's head off. 
Kevin Lee was probably worried for he's like, I didn't do anything. I just asked a question. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> like I, I'm just I like, doing my job. Please don't hurt me. Yeah, I'd be like <laughs> he's like, God, I'm not gonna ask him another question. I'm gonna walk away. <laughs> exactly. I think as, well, as reporters, there. you get to that point where you're you're like, all right, I, I'm this driver is way too heated. I'm gonna go let him calm down and yeah. then I'm gonna talk to him. I'm not gonna I mean it might be better TV in the moment, it might give me better quotes, but yeah. At what cost? <laughs> my I my life. I will also would have asked the question behind a uh, a fence. Like you're standing on that side, I'm going to stand on this side. We're going to we're going to six feet apart here. We're going to have a fence between us. Yeah, we're we're going to take these uh these whatever county Long Beach is in protocols to the extreme. It might be Los Angeles County. I don't know, but and like we're just gonna yeah. I I uh whew, that was that was I didn't see that until like late last night because I, I watched the race today. Uh, after work so i watched the race basically 24 hours later um but when i saw that after our work sunday night i'm like whoa that's mad um then you get let's fight then do the race what in the world was oh, Ed okay Jones first of all you had the problem with the main the two two main titles contenders polo and award did not qualify super well that's true and whereas yeah. new garden got the pole pole and Finally. so that was like i mean it was going to be very drama. difficult for anyone but polo to win the race but now but you have the, the going top two guys into are in that the race. Field. Yeah, going into that race, you're like, okay, well, you know, uh, Newgarden and Dixon are one two, and and Award and Palou are like nine ten. You know, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, okay, this could get spicy a little bit if if pit strategy fails or if if one of them has a problem back in the pack on the restart gets bad because re- you know you know how starts at long beach are like i said it's yeah. i was talking about it last week you know it's long beach or portland or two of the tracks that probably indycar needs to legitimately consider standing starts for because you know even even on sunday you had about the first half of the cars were lined up and coming to the green and the last half were still pacing uh coming into the final corner it's just not fair i mean if you start like 12th on back, you're screwed. You're never going to get a good start. Everybody's going to be gone in front of you, and you're going to be behind before the green flag even waves, you know, or just as the green flag waves. Yeah. Um, it's it, That's another point. But, you know, it made for a very interesting dynamic, those first couple of laps. And then, as you say, you move on, you know, the championship kind of just dried up when Ed Jones clips Pato Award and turns him around. And the tra- at that by that point, it's like, okay, well, it's it's done. It's over. Bye. Yeah. But actually, it did have championship implications because I don't think did where did Pato finish in the championship? Did he 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 dropped down to third, didn't he? With yeah, at least dropped down to third. Now that yeah. I, I don't I don't think Dixon uh, Dixon had to win. No, New Garden New Garden finished second, so I I that's why yes. I'm wondering did he move up to second in the, in the points? yes yes New Garden finished second in the points that's yes uh, an award yeah uh, if Dixon had won the race then award would have dropped down to fourth yeah so and that was that was their worry at that point but yeah yeah it. Arrow, Arrow McLaren just had a really rough weekend with Pato in general. Yeah, yeah. it's not for just it, during qualifying, and then as well then, and then during the race. And it, when when you have that situation, you know, and, and that's a hard thing to judge. You know, did Award have or did did Ed Jones have the corner? Well, no, I could tell no. you that straight 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 up. He didn't have the corner. He did not. Um, have the no, and that's probably why it was probably his last race in IndyCar. I don't want to say, but I don't because I've liked Ed Jones for a while, but I think. This year and and his his stint with Ganassi has kind of showed us that you know he's mm, maybe maybe not quite cut out for this IndyCar stuff. You know maybe maybe might want to see what IMSA team gives you a ride for next year. 
you know, or at the very least, I guess, as we were talking about, maybe see what AJ Foyt's willing to willing to have for you. Um, if you're content being, you know, 15th, see what AJ Foyt's got for you, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that was just an unfortunate deal because then that just complete that any chance that we had at a, at an interesting points battle kind of just dried up and then it was like all right well polo just has to finish the race and we can crown put the crown on him which he ended up doing he finished the race um i can't remember where he finished he finished fourth he finished fourth okay so yeah he did pretty he did pretty well so we probably even regardless i think what you don't know what you don't know what you don't know is that if Pato is all of a sudden running up front does Polo make a mistake trying to push it? You know, that's not, that's not really been his his mantra this yeah. year. But does something else happen? Does a pitch strategy call not go right? You know, you don't know how things play out that way. Yeah, sure, he finished fourth, but does it stay that way if Pato's winning the race? You know, in that. I think even then, I think Polo was going to have to was going to have to like DNF in order for Pato to have any chance. And Pato was going to have to win the race, and Polo was going to have to DNF. And that right. was pretty much the only way it was going to happen. So even even if, you know, I, I if let's say that your your scenario happened, even if that's the case, I still think Ganassi is just, just tells Polo, hey, don't worry about it. Finish 10th. Nobody cares. You'll win the championship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just hang around and ride. He had to finish 12th. I'm like, he had to finish uh, 13th, I think. Or... I think it was 14th. 14th? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just... Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. He had too good of a car. Not everyone, not no one else behind him was strong enough to really compete there. Um, and then to, down towards the end of the race, we have uh, a couple guys drop out. One of them, well, one of them was uh, Ward, but Grosjean missed out on Rookie of the Year. Uh, that was that was a you could tell he was very disappointed on there on the pit wall. But I love that the IndyCar fan base has just totally wrapped their arms around him and. You, he could he couldn't even smile, continue smiling. He still turned his head and like, dang it, I can't believe we just missed out on that. You know, I this is something that's interesting, and I don't want to take anything away from Scott McLaughlin winning the Rookie of the Year. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I think it's very interesting to me to see that McLaughlin just narrowly lost Rookie of the Year honors to someone who didn't even run a full season. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that speaks more to Grosjean and his ability. Or if that is like, oh man, Scott McLaughlin kind of had a an okay season, but a relatively rough year. But now, but can, can, as again, I didn't want to crap on him that much. I didn't want to bring him down because he does have something that he could take pride out of this. Not just rookie of the year, McLaughlin, but he was also the only driver. Apparently, I read this. He was the only driver all year to finish every race. He was running at the finish in every race this season. Yeah, so, I you think, know what? I don't remember a race he DNF'd. I think, I think based on that. I think that kind of, that kind of puts that to be moot, you know. Well, the, and, the matter and, is, he didn't crash. He didn't have mechanical problems. He kept the car in in one piece, took good care of it, brought it home every single race. And I think for a rookie, there's not very many rookies that could probably ever say that. I mean, I mean he's on Max Chilton's the other one. He has the record for being the only Formula One rookie to finish every Grand Prix. Um, he could take that. He'll never he'll never lose that probably. Let's be honest. I mean, it, it's, as soon as Sonoda and Mazepin and Schumacher all crashed, I was like, hey, Max Chilton probably sits there and thinks, hey, I still got the record. <laughs> I still got I, the record. I, I think McLaughlin, though, he's learning a new car, right? He's learning a new type of car. Grosjean's been doing open wheel. So where did uh, Scott finish 
14th in the overall standings. That's not awful, I don't think, especially for a rookie. I mean, I, I would I would have guessed, honestly, if you would have guessed me or asked me at the beginning of the year, which we didn't, I would have thought he'd been more down the 18-19 range. And Grosjean would have been around like the 15-16 range, which he was. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, I, I obviously just running the 13 well, now, but hey, Johnson has had you know speak. You're speaking of Jimmy Johnson. I don't want to interrupt you, but hey, man, Johnson has gotten his best two finishes in IndyCar yes. the last two weeks. Yes, so he that is a great. very, very high mark for Johnson to to end on, and especially like if we talk about if Jimmy Johnson's going to run ovals next year, I think he has a better chance to compete and win on an oval than he does on a road course right now. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I think you'll see. I think Jimmy could potentially get his first top ten, maybe at an oval. Yeah. Um, in IndyCar, which would be great for him, yeah. because like I said, you know, if you're going for he he said like mid teens was his goal for the rest of the year was trying to get into the mid teens, and he's done that. He's done that now. He's 17th, 16th, you know, 18th, 17th, you know, yeah, back to back 17th place finishes, back to back 17th place finishes, which is which is pretty decent, um, given where he started. You yeah. know, given given where he started at the beginning of the season, given where he's ended the the season, I don't know if you could specifically say. He, you you know maybe the the progress isn't as visual to the naked eye or to the casual race fan, but at the very least to me, that's a very big step up from again somebody who's learning an entirely different car. McLaughlin has that advantage that the supercars have they don't have the same amount of downforce as an Indy car, but it's both the Indy car and the NAS and the supercar definitely have way less downforce than the NASCAR does right now. I will right. say that um, the current supercar. The chassis and the current IndyCar chassis definitely have less downforce than the Cup car, which is probably why you saw McLaughlin having a little bit easier transition than Johnson. I th- but I think again, if Johnson had been running some ovals, you probably would have seen him start to compete for some top tens and stuff like that. But um, overall, um, just an interesting, interesting rookie of the year battle because again, it wasn't really a rookie of the year. You're talking about. A supercars champion, a uh, Formula One podium finisher, and a seven-time NASCAR champion. And you're going to sit here and tell me these guys are rookies? These are not rookies. This is a this is it's, it's not a rookie of the year. It's a best newcomer challenge, basically. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. And, and one thing I was going to say about Jimmy Johnson, he wasn't one big note where you could say um, his improvement is. I mean, other than Nashville, which was a struggle, str- was a struggling weekend. He wasn't spinning out as much the second half of the year compared to the first half, which to me, all right, I know where the footing of this car is. I know what the limits are. Now let's start pushing those limits. And now I, I, I took me a few races to find where those limits were at, find where the four corners of the car are, you know? Uh, so I, I, I have high hopes for, for, for Johnson. I don't think he's going to win a race next year, but I have high hopes that he can finish in the top 10 this time next year in, in uh, on a road course and i i like you agree that you put him on a uh, an oval at whether that's texas indy iowa or gateway i i think he can i think he can get a top 10 and that would be a that'd be a confidence booster it, we all know that like look half a racing game half a sport is confidence if you don't have the confidence you're not going to perform and uh jimmy unfortunately just he hasn't visited Victory Lane since June 2017, right? It's been that long, and uh, but uh, he's having fun. He's enjoying it, which is good. And I, I, will he visit Victory Lane next year? I don't think so. But 
if you can get top tens, I, that's that's vast improvement. Um, I, to talk about Alex Pelot real quick in, in his title, I did you expect this? I didn't expect this when 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 it was announced that he was coming to Ganassi. But you know, he, I'm to be honest with you, I don't think I ever expect anybody other than Scott Dixon anymore to win the championship. I mean, fair. I just kind of, it's become. Just, you know, like, okay, it's going to be Dixon and maybe Newgarden are probably going to be. And guess what? It was Dixon and Newgarden who ended up coming down. But they didn't win it. They were bested by Pato and Polo, which was a pleasant surprise. Um, And no, I don't think I saw this coming at all, especially not based on Polo's season in 2020. I did not think that Polo had the most impressive season in 2020. Um, but granted, I know I knew what he could accomplish. I'd, I'd watched him in Super Formula before, so I knew that he was obviously a very talented race car driver. But I also, at the same time, was like, okay, is he, this is a new series for him. He's never run ovals before. You know, it's it's going to take some time. And I didn't realize that as soon as he got to Ganassi, I don't know if maybe sometimes I believe that it's 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 all Dario. It's all Dario's coaching because I truly believe sometimes that it is Dario's coaching for some of those new drivers because I look. And I have proof of that. If you look at, you know, Kimball's early years or the first, the cup first couple of years that Kimball, or, or second or third, there was a period of time there between I would say like 2013 and 2015, where Kimball or maybe even 2016, where Charlie Kimball was really coming into his own. Like Charlie Kimball was quickly becoming and establishing himself as like a front runner and a, a threat to win races. He wasn't a race. He was, only had one win under his belt, but he was becoming a threat to win races. Then they added Max Chilton in 2016 and even Sage Karam in 20, um, 2015. Um, I really feel sometimes that Dario had a huge impact on not just Karam's ability to drive the race car, but then also Chilton's ability to drive the race car, Kimball's ability to drive the race car. I think Ganassi, as long as he is incorporating Dario Franchitti as a driver coach those drivers because I, I look at what marcus erickson is doing marcus erickson yeah. is far and above a far better indie car driver with ganassi than he is, has been than he ever was when he was with um schmidt peterson or era or mclaren whatever i think him getting the boot from mclaren was probably the best thing could ever happen because it opened up this opportunity for him to go to ganassi and then learn under dario who is somebody that has won IndyCar championships, has won Indy 500s, knows IndyCar inside and out, knows how to drive these pretty much every track on the circuit. Um, he's an invaluable asset to Chip Ganassi Racing. And I think Pelot's championship and then um, in addition to Ericsson's, I mean, Ericsson's got two wins, had two wins this year, and he was a, he was briefly in the title hunt. It was he. It was it was going to be tough for him to to really be a, a contender, but he was in the title hunt briefly. He finished sixth in the standings. That's yes. where he finished. He finished sixth. He he was. There was a period of time there though when he was fifth, where he was legitimately mathematically yeah, eligible. He was mathematically eligible. Um, yeah. And and that is a leaps and bounds ahead of where he was in 2020 and in 2019. Yeah. So again, I I I think a lot of that comes down to Dario. Um, and his ability to teach these guys how to run these cars. Um, and like I said, I uh, guys who have left Ganassi, they had great strong form, and then as soon as they have left Ganassi, they've dropped their form. I look at Kimball, I look at Chilton, I look at even Tony Kanaan in some respects, but though I don't believe Tony Kanaan had anything to do with, uh, had needed much teaching from um, Frank Keaty. But even then, you know, you look at that, and it kind of makes you think, okay, well, how much was Dario being the, how much was the the difference Dario 
And it really make I really have attributed and have believed that it's a lot of Dario. So no, I can't say I saw this coming, but given Dario's history working with some of these young drivers, I think that it was only a matter of time before it happened. And it just happened a lot sooner than it than I thought it would. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see a new face. Certainly uh win the championship. It's been it's been a while since we've had a I I guess when was the last first time champion when New Garden when he won in well no Pagano, right? When he won. No, but New Garden at seventeen. We've had guys win a championship recently for the first time, but such a young face. Such a such a unseasoned driver win. And and that's what's nice because New Garden been here for a few years, Pagano been here for a few years. So Oh, I, I, Newgarden, Pagano both had miles more experience yes. in American Open Wheel Racing than Pelot did. Um, right. Pagano had been out of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Pagano was in um, Champ Car in 07, then went sports car racing after Champ Car folded up, came back um, in 2011 and 2012 to run some races for, for Schmidt, and then committed full-time to Schmidt through 14, but New Garden had run, had come up. He actually he had run uh, GP3, European F3, but then came through the Road to Indy program ladder, won the Indy Lights champion, got that deal with Sarah Fisher Hartman, um, Sarah Fisher Racing, Sarah Fisher Hartman, Carpenter Fisher Hartman, Gar- Ed Carpenter, and then moving on to Penske. So even then, those guys had way more time over here in the States than Palou has. Palou spent more time over in Europe and Japan than he has in the United States, and he's already got a championship. So, um, and even then, I forgot Pagano was in Atlantics before he got the champ car. So Pagano was in Atlantics even. So even Pagano has more, had more experience coming through the ranks in American Opel racing than um, Palou did. So it's just great to see. It's a great um, victory for Palou. I know we're really uh, hitting the time limit here. So, I think uh, we should won the race. That. Colton Herta Colton won Herta, the race. I was just about to say, Colton yeah. Herta won the race, by the way. Um, and now I think I want to talk about F1 because I quite yeah. a few you, you talk about F1 because unfortunately I only watched, was able to watch the first like 18 laps and then I had to hit the road to go to work that day. So sorry because you missed the craziest the of race. My, of all, my store manager is an F1 fan and we were talking about today and he was kind of describing some of it to me and I'm like, why in the world did this have to happen in Russia? But that's great. I mean, well, tell, tell everyone about it. I, I, you know, a lot of people have criticized the Sochi circuit, but I've always felt like it it, it doesn't deserve the criticism it gets. I think it's a lot more, it, uh, it has to do a lot more with how the drivers drive the racetrack than how the racetrack it is, itself is, because I think dr- the racetrack itself is plenty of really good passing zones. I think it's, despite the fact that it's flat, I think it has very interesting elements to it that provide a different challenge against the drivers, especially um, that long turn two complex um that that can really strain your neck after a while that could pose a, a, a significant challenge to drivers who aren't in in their peak physical condition especially with their neck strength their neck conditioning stuff like that you know so i think it's it's a very good racetrack and i'm glad that it kind of got to show it was this week because it's one of those tracks that it, ha- it has a perfect drs range i mean drs makes such a big difference at sochi and not just drs but also just in general these cars poking such a big hole in the air because you saw it not just in the f3 race not just in the f2 races but also in the f1 races that the draft meant so much at sochi and as long as you could get if as long as you could sniff the tiniest draft off the car in front i mean you could slipstream them and have a great shot at them into that into that next overtaking position um, and we really saw that overall throughout the whole weekend was at Sochi. But really, 
I mean, the start was very clean, but also hectic. So that start of that race, I thought, I was like, oh, man, we're going to have a big pileup going into turn one. Because as, I think it was, um, I think they showed the onboard of, of Norris, who got that, uh, he, he didn't have the best start. You know, he lost some time to Carlos Sainz. Or, or no, Sainz it was Sainz. Lead, right? Yeah, who, who was the car? It was Hamilton. Hamilton. It was Hamilton. I'm sorry. Hamilton got a really – he didn't have the best start. Hamilton didn't have the best start. But all he had to do was stay right in behind uh, Signs and, and, and Lando. And he just – whoop. He was like, bye. Later, guys. I'm going to fly through up here. But then a bunch of cars passed him on the outside, and they were drafting all over the place. But, man, it was – that that start, the first few laps were really entertaining and really crazy. And then you get into the, some of the tire strategy. I was I was intrigued by some of the tire strategy that we saw. You know, it definitely seemed like starting on the hard tires was, um, I think, the more conservative route, whereas starting on the mediums was more of like, all right, let's try and go. Let's try and get up as many positions as we can, and then we'll pit early, which, you know, I was was curious. I was wondering why Williams did that to Russell. I felt like they had the track position given the third place, but I I guess they felt like they wouldn't have have been able to pick – keep the pace up which is why they went ahead and scrapped the mediums for the hards as early as they did i think it was like lap not between lap nines and nine and twelve somewhere around there that i think they pitted russell which was i felt really early um but hey russell rebounded for points so i guess yeah. it all kind of worked out yeah in the end um but yeah that was just interesting i was kind of curious there but in general overall the pit strategy was crazy but uh, let's talk about the finish let's talk about how this goes because they're talking about rain like all race because there's a, there's a threat of rain they're showing the radar rain's moving in it's kind of there it's maybe there but then they're like you know rain is just north of us you know it's, it was just northwest of them you know so it wasn't entirely impossible for the winds to shift and blow that whole cell towards Sochi you know what i mean yeah. And I think a lot of the drivers and a lot of the teams were kind of monitoring that, and more so the teams, and less so the drivers, were kind of monitoring that and kind of being like, eh, it could rain, but let, we're, not, we're not really banking on it, you know? And then you get into the final, like, 10 laps, and we're like, oh, hey, okay, rain's here. It, it's coming. Rain is coming. Um, and I think that this is what caused the biggest challenge. And, and I said it in the moment, and I still stand by it. Um, I don't really blame McLaren. I don't blame Lando Norris. And I'm yeah. going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because I think when you look at the situation, they had rain. They were talking about rain. Was he- rain it was raining real heavy in turn five and six. It's like, okay, well, it's raining real heavy in one part of the track. So when it's raining real heavy in one part of the track, you know, guaranteed, all right, I have to slow down here, and I'm going to lose a little bit of time here. But you also have to ask yourself, okay, can I – that the other driver is going to have to lose time too. If I can try and make up time while he's losing time, then I can – I could keep the keep the gap, keep the distance good. You know, that's what Lor- Lando Norris is thinking. Now, the thing that you go with that is, okay, it's only raining in one part of the track. How hard is it raining? Well, the team, this is where I think it, it was it, it it's a team loss. It's a driver and a team loss for McLaren. Uh, and and I don't think there's any one person you can blame because I think there was a lot of people who were blaming some people, the people who like weren't feeling bad for Lando, I guess. If you didn't feel bad for Lando, most people were like you know, he did it to himself. He specifically ignored the team's calls to bring him in. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to defend Lando here. Because when you're in that situation, 
I, I had to keep in mind, I had to remember myself the whole time I'm watching this race because I don't know how bad it's raining there. I don't have the data in front of me. I don't have the radar in front of me. I'm not there at the racetrack. But my gut feeling that whole time is stay out. You have three laps. There is no way. There is a very, even if there is a way, it's a very small chance that the whole track is going to become soaked in three laps. It did. Yeah. How the hell was I going to know that? How the hell is Lando going to know that? Because Lando is driving in it. Land- so the team is going to tell Lando, okay, hey, according to the radar, rain is here, rain is here, rain is here. Lando is the one driving the car. Lando is the one who can feel how the car is reacting. Lando knows how wet the track is. If Lando is making the decision here, okay, the track is still dry. I can make it. Let's stay out. And the team is telling him, hey, box, box, box. I'm going to. At some point, I'm, at some point, I don't think McLaren can blame Lando. I don't think Lando could blame himself because he's one out there driving. It just so happens that when he gets around to that same exact spot, the next lap, it's entirely drenched. Now, how's he going to know that? How's I? How's anybody going to know that? Mercedes and what Mercedes did. Now, Lewis Hamilton also said, "No, no, I don't want to pit for inters. I think it's too slick." And Mercedes basically said, "No." Lewis, we're putting our foot down. You're coming in. You're pitting, regardless of whether or not you like it. You're boxing this lap, and you know if you don't like it, you don't have to drive for us anymore. Now, I'm not saying they said it like that. I don't think yeah. they said it like that. I don't think they would. But no. the idea was like, Lewis, we're doing it. You're boxing. This is a team order, you know. Whereas McLaren kind of let Lando have a little bit more freedom. Be like, okay, you're driving the car. You know better than we do. We might feel the rain and see the radar, but you're driving the car. You know how it's going to react. Yeah. Mercedes made that call basically at the exact time that the rains opened up, that the clouds opened up, and the whole track became flooded. You know what I mean? Yeah. McLaren and Lando made 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 a different call at the same time. And I think, again, you're looking at the situation where you are operating on the thinnest of margins. I mean, once – I mean, you li- you literally saw it pay off for one driver and fail for another. I think if, the if you know, in an alternate universe where McLaren decides to sp- stop and Hamilton doesn't, everybody looks and says, oh, McLaren is really smart. McLaren is really smart. Lando is really smart. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah, it just so happened. It was literally a 50-50 chance. You had to make the decision. You either stay out or you box. You have to commit. And at some point there, you literally you have to commit. You cannot just mosey around and wait and wait and wait and say, uh, we might pit next lap. We'll see. You know, Lander, do you think we, you know, you have to make that decision. You have to say, no, we're staying out or no, we're pitting and just stick with it. They had yeah. to stick with it. Once they had committed, once Lando said, no, I think it's fine. I think the ra- the track is fine. I could still drive. McLaren had to be like, all right, we're committing. We're committing to staying out. We're committing to staying out. And it ended up costing them a race. You can't blame anybody in that situation because of the reasons I already stated. It was just Mercedes and Lewis were right at the at, and and McLaren and Lando were wrong, and we see how it ended up. But I again, like I said, I I just don't think you could place any blame on here. But it was very interesting because you know you you see these races all the time. You know that where they always have like the threat of rain. And they're like rain will be here like within the final ten laps, and they always say rain is coming, but the rain never comes. And this yeah. time the rain actually came, <laughs> and yeah. we saw just again 
how thin those margins are and how difficult it is to make that call in the moment. So, but overall, I really, really enjoyed the F1 race. That was bonkers from the start, first and foremost. There was lots of action going on all throughout the race. Um, I have really fallen in love with F1 over the past. I mean, I loved F1. I've loved F1 for a while, for at least over 10 years now. But in the last three or four, I don't know what it's been, but there's, I don't know if the, the series has gotten more parody or, or what, but man, it's like every race nowadays. Crazy. I mean, we were, we were about to see McLaren win back-to-back races. There was even a chance. There was a legitimate chance that a first, I thought, I was like, when, once Sainz took the lead on that first lap, I was like, dude, could we be seeing Ferrari get their first win this season? I was thinking too. And then and then Mc, and then Lando caught and passed him, and I was like, "Man, could we see McLaren get both their drivers in victory lane this season?" I was like, "Man, three years ago, that would have been that's not even possible." Three years ago, no, that's not even a, a, a legitimate thought. They're just hoping to get fifth in constructors' championship three years ago. Yeah, and here they are competing for third in the constructors' cha- constructors' championship. You know, having a legitimate shot at getting both of their drivers in victory lane, scoring podiums with both of their drivers. I mean, this F1 is fun to watch right now. And I'm really excited for what the rest of the season holds, for what the championship fight holds. Because, again, Max Verstappen, hey, let's talk about the championship. Because uh, there was a legitimate point there where Verstappen was out of the points. He had to start dead last. Botas was at to start in front of him. You know, you're yeah. sitting here thinking, all right, Lewis is going to probably take a huge points, huge cut and chunk into Max's points lead. But no, no, Verstappen drives from dead last on the grid to second. Second. How in the ever? I mean, how can you not look at that and say that is one of the most impressive drives? And, and, and yeah, he had. You could say he had the rain to help him, probably. But to come from twentieth, from dead last, and to finish second, and to prevent Lewis, who won the race, from eating more into his championship lead. Oh my gosh! I feel like we've said this before, and it could very well ring true multiple times. But if Max wins the championship. He can point to Ver- to Russia and say, we won it that day. Even though he left two points behind, he could say, we won it that day. And, and that's, that to me is, is uh, whatever you want to say about the Italian Grand Prix and, and whether you thought Max, Max's move was immature, uh, you know, showed his signs of, uh, you know, immaturity as a race car driver, as a person, uh, his after action. He had to have he had to be mature to drive through the field like that, uh, and not to let. I have nineteen cars in front of me. I'm never going to get to the front. Get to him because, like, even before the first pit cycle, he was up to like thirteenth or twelfth, something like that. Remember, he had to race Valtteri Bottas as well. Yes, he had so to he's racing that. another Mercedes who started in front of him in nineteenth. Yes. The whole time as well. He's carving his way through the field and he's basically got to hold off a Mercedes because he's got to finish ahead of the Mercedes for the points championship, first and foremost. But then he's got to be in front of the Mercedes for the overall race as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I bummed I didn't get to watch this race to its, to its entirety because it, it played out so well. And it's one of those it's races. one of those races where everybody was like, "Ah, oh, it's Russia. It's not going to be that good." And then everybody who didn't watch it was like, "Wait, are you kidding me? There was a good Russian Grand Prix? What?" Yes. <laughs> like, yes, you missed 
a great race. F1 this year cannot do anything wrong right now. I don't know why. Yeah, you, that well, that's kind of been a theme this year, right? It's not going to be a good race. Don't watch it. All of a sudden, it's like this is a great race. What what is going on? That has been that's been twenty twenty one. Um, well, yeah, Rob, I think we need to mosey on uh, to the next one here, and that's the weekend wrap up. So why don't you uh, summarize the weekend for everyone? All right, talking about some of the sport races from the weekend. The Arkham Menard Series West race, the Las Vegas Bullring. Taylor Gray was the victor there. Uh, then the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series ran their race at Las Vegas. Christian Eckes was the victor. That was his first career truck victory. And uh, Thor Sport Racing had a 1-2-3-4 finish. The first time that has happened in Truck Series history. Huge for Thor Sport. Big for Christian Eckes. Um, definitely, he's glad to get that monkey off of his back. He he definitely looked like someone who was very happy to win that race. Yeah. Definitely. I forgot what he even looked like. I was like, oh, oof. That's oof. what he looks like. He, he looks old. <laughs> he looks a lot older than the last time I saw him. Yeah. Um, then the NASCAR Xfinity Series was at Las Vegas. We already talked about how just how great of a race that was. But Josh Berry ended up winning that race. That's his second career Xfinity race. He was subbing for Michael Annette. Um, and he's again, they talked about him. Okay, he's going to go run full-time next year for JRM. Whew. Josh he's, Berry, man. He's looking good. I did, I did forget to note two things here. That was the first time JRM went 1-2-3 oh. in, in team history. And it's the first time that all four cars have reached victory lane in a season oh, for them boy so That's because huge. because because barry won in the eight earlier in this year one in the one the, this past weekend and obviously Gregson's all guy and gregson have gone to victory lane so first time all four cars have gone to victory lane that's great them. for Dale Jr., man and that's yeah. great for josh barry as well showing that it you know he can go from one team to another and still win he yes. can go from one type of track to another type of track and still win it just shows his maturity too. You know, talking about Max, his maturity. Watch the first few races of this year, then go watch the past couple ones. Pooh, quick learner. Oh yeah, very quick learner. It was. It's very fun to watch Josh Berry. It was. It was just fun to watch that Xfinity race. That was just, a great Xfinity race. You know, Saturday races, man. They're the ones to tune in for. I can't wait. I mean, Talladega is a different beast. But once we get past Talladega, I'm like, yeah, I'm all in on the Xfinity series. I care a lot more about this series. I'm gonna give my full attention to this series and maybe sit on oh. my phone for most of the cup races. What about the Roval? Eh, Roval's Roval. Roval's going to be good no matter what. Okay. Anyway, um, let's talk about the F2 and F3 race at weekend. So this was something that kind of frustrated me. I got really upset about this. So they shortened the weekend a little bit because of the rain. Because yeah. we had really bad rain on um, on Friday and Saturday. Like almost monsoon conditions, basically. Like the Sochi was flooded at one point during the last week. So what they ended up doing was they canceled two of the F three, uh, one of the F two F three races, one of the F two races, and kind of moved the schedule around. So there were supposed to be th- like six support. Races in total, we only got four. you know it kind of. Shake it kind of changes points championship would have shaken up. And the F three championship. We'll talk about who won who won. You know, it, it so it didn't really matter for that, but it was still kind of disappointing because I didn't know they were gonna move the race up. So I kind of slept in on that Friday because I had a long night. I have long I have long days on Friday. I have really long nights on Fridays. So I tend to sleep in a little bit more, get a little bit more sleep than I need to. And I woke up right after right as the race ended and I woke up and I'm like, "Wait a minute. What? There was a race? Well, they moved the race, but I thought it was I thought it was supposed to be and 
and they just ran this race. They didn't even. I was completely asleep when they made the announcement, so I didn't even get to watch the race. But um, that was. It is what it is. Um, but in F two, we'll talk about F two. Uh, race one was won by Dan Tictum, which is very interesting because apparently Trevor Carlin made a comment over the weekend and said that where he said he likes Dan Tictum in IndyCar. Ooh, there you go. Hmm. Carlin maybe wants to expand to a second car if they let Max Chilton come back. Maybe hmm, they'll pick up Dan Tictum, who is currently racing for them in F two. Maybe interesting develop. Now I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Trevor Carlin would like to run Dan in one of his IndyCar programs. Maybe we'll see. Um, but I, definitely, since Tictum uh, split with the Williams Driver Academy earlier earlier this year, his prospects of potentially getting an F one ride are very slim. Perhaps he could be looking at IndyCar as a legitimate option if. Trevor Carlin would like to take him. It all comes down to what Dan wants to do because I think Dan himself is, is someone who's like, hey, it's F1 or nothing for me. If I can't get the F1, I'm just going to call it quits. So he might not even want to come over to IndyCar. But, hey, you look at all the drivers who have gone over there, found success. We're talking about Palou. We're talking about Grosjean. We're talking about guys who, you know, even guys who made it to F1, guys who couldn't make it to F1 are still being able to find themselves, have really good, solid careers in IndyCar. Um We'll see. But Dan Tictum won the first race. The second race was canceled. And then the third race, Oscar Piastri was able to win that race and extend his points lead. So now it's going to be really, really tough, I think, for Guan Yu Zhou and Robert Schwartzman to catch him unless Piastri has a disastrous next two rounds. It's just going to be very, I think Piastri is going to have the, the, the championship. But then that would throw a big wrench into Piastri's entire career because he couldn't return to F2 if he wins the championship. And since there's only one the F2... crap rule, by the way. Yeah. And because there's only one seat remaining in F on the F1 grid for next year, he would have to basically hope and pray <laughs> somehow that um, he can get picked up by Alfa Romeo Granted, okay. Alfa Romeo apparently is interested in Guan Yu Zhou, who is second in the championship, and also an Alpine Academy driver, which is interesting as well. Driver academies, I guess, mean not much unless you're in a Red Bull. Yeah. Or Ferrari, for that matter. Yeah, unless your name's Leclerc or Schumacher, you know, you're probably not going to get to drive a Ferrari or a Haas car, <laughs> you know, even if you're in the Ferrari Driver Academy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, very interesting to see that. Piastri is obviously having one of the quickest. I mean, he was a, a, he was outstanding in F3 last year. He won the F3 championship. And now he's come up to F2, and he's probably going to win the F2 championship. Now, this would be one of the fastest rises of any champion, because usually even you win F3 championship, it still takes you like a year or so to get an F2 championship under your belt. But this could be back-to-back championships for Piastri. And if he doesn't get to F1, I think it would be a huge... Uh, disservice to him because I've also heard, and not to tangent more, but I've also heard that Teo Polcher is under con- serious consideration for Alfa Romeo. So Alfa Romeo apparently is keeping serious look, serious tabs on F2, considering both Guan Yu Zhou and Teo Polcher. They also have Antonio Giovinazzi, who if they want to re-sign, they can. Um, but then you also have Piastri, who's going to basically be begging for a ride at the end of F2 if he wins the championship. Don't know what's going to happen. Could be like 
last year where we all thought it was going to be Calumila going to Haas or getting an Alfa Romeo seat, and he ends up in IndyCar this year, and Mazepin goes in. It could be just someone writes a big check and gets that Alfa Romeo seat. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Now, in F3, we have a champion. Like we said, we crowned a champion. Uh, Dennis Hauger won that won the championship, but race number one was won by American prospect Logan Sargent, who, again, should definitely have an F2 ride for next year. If there's an F2 ride seat open, it should go to Logan Sargent. Now, again, he doesn't have any funding. He, this could be where his career ends. But I want to talk about race two, because or race three. Race two was canceled. Race three. Jack Doohan won the race. Jack Doohan had it, it won the race for Trident. Now, this was crazy because Trident was going for the team's championship. And they had two drivers, one-two, in Jack Doohan and Ollie Caldwell. Or not Ollie Caldwell, excuse me. Clement Novelak. Clement Novelak and da- Jack Doohan. Now, they're one-two. Now, Novelak wants to win a race. He hasn't won a race yet. Jack Doohan has. Trident, basically. Now, now keep in mind, the way it works is, you know, the teams are kind of employers of employees of the drivers almost, if that makes sense. The drivers have really no um, loyalty to their teammates in, F- in, in F3, F2. So, but the teams want to win the team's championship. Now, when you're on thin margins and all you have to do, and you have your two cars, one, two, and you can win the team's championship, you're basically like, please don't race each other. Please hold position. Well, try tell two young guys who don't technically work for you to hold position. Good luck. There were periods of time there where I legitimately thought those two guys were going to crash each other and ruin the whole thing for Trident. And be like, throw their whole team's championship out the window, give it to Prema, and everything goes wrong. You know, Prema gets the driver's championship and the team championship, even though Trident had a perfect chance. No, Dewan held on and was able to to get um, get that uh, big uh, team's championship with Jack Dewan and Clement Nolak finishing 1-2. David Schumacher didn't score any points, which was hmm, interesting. Um, but the biggest, I want to talk about Logan Sargent again, because... Uh, by virtue of winning that race, keep in mind he started. Um, he started twelfth. So the way the F F three works, you know, they invert. They have the reverse grid. So uh, because he qualified twelfth, and started first in the in, in the feature race or in the sprint race, um, he had to start twelfth in the feature. Well, Logan Sargent doesn't let that get to him. No, this man simply had one of the best cars. I don't think he had the best cars because Sharuz is terrible, but he had one of the best drives I could probably ever see. This guy drove all the way from 12th to 4th and passed everybody in between on merit and on sheer pace, and he probably would have gotten a podium if he had a few extra laps. I just want to state right now to everybody listening, if you know someone with a lot of money, they need to sponsor Logan Sargent right now because this dude is not in Formula 2 next year, and if we lose him, I will be outrageously disappointed. I wouldn't mind if he comes to IndyCar. I'd still be disappointed, but I would prefer his racing career continue because I think this is somebody who has a boatload of talent and is an American driver, is a likable American driver, and is somebody who is just gritty, hardworking, and again, he got the Chiru's ride basically for free and carried them. Do you know where he finished in the points? He finished no. ahead of Arthur Leclerc in the Prema, who won two races. He finished ahead of Prema's basically golden boy in Arthur Leclerc. He finished ahead of Ollie Caldwell, who was also Prema's golden boy, in a Charouze, which was easily the worst car on the grid. He finished seventh in the points. What does in, that tell? What does that? What, what that? It's obvious, but what does that say about his talent? 
it so says that he maximized. has he maximized and then some the car. He got all he could get out of the car and then some. Yeah, is what it's saying. He finished. He carried that team. I don't think any. I mean, when Enzo Fittip, Enzo Fittipaldi had some had some decent pace in the Sharoops, but he was never as fast as as Sargent. So Enzo accumulates for I think three total points of Sharoops, but I believe the rest of the all of the points scored by Sharoops were scored by Logan Sargent alone. Out of a three car organization, you have one guy scoring all but three points. That should tell you just how good so Sergeant was, man. He finished seventh in the Drivers' Championship all alone by himself on merit, carried Sharoos, who could have easily been dead last in the Drivers' Championship, to at least what, where, I don't know, I can't remember where they finished, but it had to have been like fifth. Remind fifth how many people are in, or how many drivers are in F3? 30. 30. So he finished seventh out of He finished 30. seventh out of 30 pretty, drivers. Pretty darn good. Pretty darn yeah. good. And Sharoos, there's 10 teams, 30 drivers, three cars per team. So for Sargent to do what he did, he deserves an F2 ride. I don't know if it's going to be, if it's with Sharoos, it's probably going to be a rough F2, but that shouldn't detract him too much. I think everybody will say, this guy beat F3 champions. This guy could have had an F3 championship. Yeah, I know you're looking at me at time. Let's talk about the outstanding performance and not talk about Logan Sargent. Mine's going to Max Verstappen, just again, from driving from 20th to 2nd. Josh, who's yours? I'm going to Ty Dillon because he led Jordan Anderson's uh, first laps for their their, uh, team history. He held on to 2nd, and I I bet if it weren't for just a miscue on his part on pit road, they may have been able to get a top 5. Yeah, car had really, really good speed despite even having damage from that big one that happened on lap 31. So we even talk about that. But, yeah, he survived that. Mine goes to Ty Dillon. Um, and, and yours, Max Verstappen, very disturbing. So uh, upshift, downshift here. We're going to try and crank this out in 10 minutes or less. Uh, upshift, you agree. Downshift, you disagree. You can throw it in a neutral for whatever reasons. It's kind of like a catch-all kind of shift. Um no special edition this week. It's just just regular questions. And uh, play along. Let us know what you think. Whether uh, how you shift, and let us know what what you think about our our shift and our reasoning. So, first question here: uh, Lewis Hamilton ends his F one career with one hundred and twenty five Grand Prix victories. Do you upshift or downshift, Rob? I downshift. I say he's gonna have more. He's gonna have more than that. I don't think Hamilton is done. Hamilton is still in his prime. Hamilton can walk away literally whenever he wants, and he doesn't have to walk away. Yeah, sure, he's proven everything. He's won seven championships. He's won over 100 wins. Why stop? Dude's still at the prime. He's driving for the best team on the grid. He's still in his prime. Why stop? I say he's getting more. I kind of have a hard time disagreeing with you, but my thing is, is like I don't know how much time he he wants to drive, how how, how much more time he wants to take away from his philanthropic and his other interests that he wants to do outside of the race car. But saying, I, I agree with you, he's in his prime. I upshift. I think he's he, he'll get 125 and then some. He'll, he'll, he'll he's not just in his prime. He's been in his prime for the last decade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah just he's, be, he's, I'll just be honest with you yeah. on that. I, I, don't think, I don't think he's, again, I don't think he's anywhere close to stopping. Um, next one here, Roman Grosjean is a three-race winner in 2022 in IndyCar. 
uh, in his debut season with Andretti Autosport, do you upshift or downshift? Rob's this is looking probably the it. hardest question you're going to ask me this whole time because I'm looking at the other ones, and I, I think I have a pretty solid idea of how I want to go with that, but this might be the hardest one because it all depends on if it's team or driver at Andretti. You know, yeah. if it's team, hell no. If it's driver, yeah, probably. But it, if that 28 DHL team is just bad and it wasn't Hunter Ray's fault and they're just not good, I don't see Grosjean doing any better. I mean, I don't well, think I don't think he's going to win three races. He might win one race. He might get lucky and win one. But I really have a hard time seeing him win more than that, especially if it turns out to be team more than driver. I'm going to downshift. It's hard to win one race in IndyCar in such a short season. It's difficult to win two. It's darn near impossible to win three unless you are on fire, right? We just don't see many three three race winners. Colton Herta won more than three this year, and he was in contention for the championship. I know that, but Colton Herta was like missed opportunity central this year. If he didn't have as many issues as he did, he could have been the guy standing on the uh, championship podium this year. Um, but. I I I I think he's he's going to be bringing people with him over to Andretti, and I think that will help the transition and help the not so much a learning curve, but the meshing of him with the team and learning this this car and helping improve the team. At the end of the day, I think he'll get two wins. I think he gets two wins. Three? No, I I don't think he gets three. Um. Third question here. The L- Las Vegas playoff race for the NASCAR Cup Series should be a Saturday night race on NBC. Do you upshift or downshift? And it currently is a Sunday night race on NBCSN going up against Sunday night football. Yeah, I'm going to have to easily agree with that one. I'm going to upshift it, but you know where I feel. I think that Las Vegas, would it would be better if you really want to have a Sunday night race to have that be the playoff, the, the championship race, the final race of, of the of the season just because of all the reasons I stated in the first part of the show. Um, I think I don't, I don't think I need to reiterate those. I think uh, my, my, my answer is pretty clear. Yeah. I upshift as well. I don't, the, the excuse you could say is that they, well, well, Notre Dame football is playing that day. Well, okay. Well, Notre Dame football can play a, uh, an afternoon game. They just shoved a Notre Dame football onto Peacock before. They yeah, did it this year already. It angered pretty much every single old person on the planet, and I don't blame them. Yeah, but it's not like they're not going to do it. Any, it's not like they wouldn't do it again. Yeah, again. But this is this is to me. This is just the TV networks are driving the show in every sport right now, with maybe the exception of the NFL. Okay, but they're driving the net, the show everywhere else. So if NBC says, yeah. Notre Dame, we know you're playing whoever that night, but we're going to move your game to Peacock, or you have to start the game at two o'clock. Which one do you want, two o'clock game or or a or a game on Peacock? Because we're going to run the NASCAR Cup race that night because we're going to get more viewers, and we don't have to go up against the NFL. What you want to do? It's Las Vegas. This isn't this isn't Kansas. This is Las Vegas. So I don't know. I. I upshift. It, this is this is kind of one of those races that has always confused me since it's been moved uh, to the fall or it's been added to the fall. All right, the last one here. Uh, poll winners in Formula One should be able to choose which side of the grid they want to start in. Do you upshift or downshift? I think that's 
absolutely a fair thing to give a poll winner in F1 is the ability to choose the line that they want to start on. I, I mean, I understand for traditionalist's sake, you know, okay, out, out, they should start on the outside, inside, you know, whatever. I get that. But at the same time, you know, winning the poll is not easy. I think you should be able to choose. I mean, in most other sports, in most other auto forms of auto racing, like like in NASCAR and I think in IndyCar too, you could choose whether or not you want to restart or start on the outside, or excuse me, start on the outside or the inside if you're the pole sitter. I don't see any reason why they can't do the same thing for Formula One, you know. Um, that's just my opinion because I feel like you should getting the pole is hard enough. I think they should be able to because because they're good when you're the pole sitter, especially like we saw at, at Sochi. You know, when you're the pole sitter, you're breaking the air for everybody behind you. And yep. with the arrow the way it is now, I mean, everybody is going to be able to get a good run on you, and you should be able to defend your position. And if you have to cut across you know, the whole racetrack in order to defend your position, that's not going to be safe. You know, you could cause a big accident there. Or you could, you know, cause some front wing damage, cut down a tire, maybe not an accident, but, you know, give yourself some damage. Yeah, I think that that's something that, that F1 should start doing is allowing the drivers to, the pole sitters to pick uh, which lane, which side of the racetrack they want to start on. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree um, because I think, you know, Sochi, I think it was a couple years ago, Botas was going for third. He wasn't going for the pole. He was going for third because that was the preferred spot. While that was in the same line as first, the pole sitter was at such a disadvantage. Again, as you said, breaking the air for everyone else in the, in the toe. Um, yeah, if, if this should be and, – and it shouldn't just be like – I would even go as far as to say – the line shifts with it. So if the if the pole sitter wants to start on the inside, that whole all the even numbers they start on the inside, and on the odds start on the outside. Or yeah, I got the numbers mixed up. The odds start with the one. I I I know math. Trust me, I know math. Um, <laughs> I'm defending my math skills on a podcast. Um, but yeah, I I agree. This is something that's kind of bothered me for a few years, especially when it comes to to Sochi, just just in particular. And then you think of the uh Senna and Prost in Japan. What year was that? 89? 88? 89? 90, I think. Uh, I was not born. So Yeah, I think it was 89. Us, we weren't born at this time, forgive us. <laughs> wasn't it the race that they collided on the first lap and the championship effectively went to Senna? Yeah. That was, I think I was 89. That was 89. So again, there's that situation there. I, there's certainly more that, that come into mind, but those that's a very notorious one. Um... That's upshift downshift. A uh, quick one. Hey, we did that. We did that in a little over, uh, a little under eight minutes. So there you go, Rob. Uh, all right. So on to uh, rollers featured racetrack this week. Um, I'm going to jump right into this. We've discussed the 2021 Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach today, and I'm going to share a snippet of a near 50 year history of the Grand Prix of Long Beach today in this segment. So the initial thought that led to racing coming to the streets of Long Beach was inspired by Monaco. Chris Pook wanted to bring another, quote, Monte Carlo-esque race to Southern California, and Long Beach was selected to uh, be the host. What made the decision uh, to race in Long Beach interesting was the fact that at the time, the city was very industrial and not built up like it is today. It was very much an industrious port city. Uh, the inaugural race was a Formula 5000 race held on September 28th, 1975, which is odd because we were currently recording on September 28th. 
Um, at the time, the circuit was 2.02 miles in length. An estimated 65,000 spectators witnessed the start of the brand new American auto racing tradition. 44 cars qualified, and the starting lineup was ultimately set by two heat races. Mario Andretti won the pole, but finished second in heat one to Tony Breeze, and heat two was won by Al Unser. At the start, Al Unser led from second on the grid. On lap three, pole sitter Tony Breeze had taken uh, the lead, and Mario Andretti took over second place. Breeze led until lap 15. When both Andretti and Unser got by, uh, Breeze repassed Unser uh, on the next lap and battled with Andretti until he retook the lead on lap 29. On lap 33, Andretti retired with a transmission uh, failure, and one lap later, Breeze retired with a broken drive shaft. Brian Redman took the lead and pulled away to a nearly 30-second victory over Vern Schuppen and Eddie... You know how to pronounce that name, Rob? I forgot I added this. Eddie, Eddie what? Where are Eddie, we? Eddie Vies. Oh my goodness. I totally forgot I added this. Well, Redmond also clinched the season's Formula 5000 points championship. One year prior to this Grand Prix, the city of Long Beach began a multi-million dollar revitalization. The Formula 5000 race was somewhat of a dress rehearsal because in 1976, Formula 1 arrived. The race shifted to early spring, uh, where it is traditionally held today, and the first F1 race in Long Beach was contested on March 28, 1976. Listed as the United States Grand Prix West, it was race number three of 16 on the 1976 F1 World Championship. Ferrari's Clay Regazzoni won, beating teammate Nicky Lauda by 42 seconds. Terrell's Patrick De- Depp Ely Finished third, eventual 76 champion James Hunt retired following a crash. After only completing three laps, an American, the only American in the race, Mario Andretti, retired after 15 laps due to a water leak. Uh, Long Beach's popularity soared, while, other F, while the other F1 race in America at Watkins Glen declined. The great weather, picturesque setting, there's one of my favorite words, picturesque, uh, in the proximity to Hollywood, made it a popular stop on the F1 Tour. Despite this, each year was a major risk for Pook, and prior to the 1984 season, he convinced city leaders to switch the race to kart, to a kart event, due to the financial risk being very much lower. Joining Regazzoni as Long Beach F1 winners were Mario Andretti, Carlos Rudeman, Giles Villeneuve, Nelson Piquet, Alan Jones, Nicky Lauda, and John Watson. So there's never a repeat winner there. When Kart arrived, it was the Andretti family who dominated the first four races. The Andretti patriarch Mario won in 84, 85, and 87. Son Michael won in 1986, and it was his first career victory in Kart. After the Andretti uh, Andrettis, it was the Unser's turn to dominate, specifically and only, Hal Unser Jr. Between 1988 and 1995, Eight total races, he won six times. Uh, Michael did return to victory lane at Long Beach for a second time in 2002, which, oddly enough, was his 42nd and final career victory. Beginning in 2008, uh, the race switched sanctioning to IndyCar, following the reunification of car in IndyCar. Will Power was the first to win under the new IndyCar sanctioning. Uh, two of Mike Conway's four IndyCar victories came at Long Beach. His first and first career victory was in 2011. He was behind the wheel of the 27 Andretti Autosport Honda. And the second came in 2014, driving the number 20 for Ed Carpenter. 
joining Andretti and Conway as drivers to to earn their first career victories in Long Beach were Paul Tracy, Juan Pablo Montoya, and Takuma Sato. In 2005, Catherine Blake won the Atlantic Championship support race at Long Beach, uh, her first start in the series, and in doing so, she became the first female driver to win a developmental open-wheel race in North America. Now, to summarize the circuit itself, it's changed a few times over the course of, of uh, the history of Long Beach as it's developed and built new streets and realignments and uh, new buildings and stuff like that. So from 75 to 81, the course was 2.02 miles in length. In 1982, it was 2.13 miles. In 83, it was shortened just a bit to 2.035. When Kart arrived in 84, the course was shortened quite dramatically to 1.67 miles. Uh, and uh, in 1987, the course remained the same overall length, but a, short, a uh, change on the backstretch, essentially, uh, led to a couple 90-degree corners instead of uh, more of a sweep. From 1992 to 1998, the course was 1.574 miles long. In 1999, the course, as we now know today, began to take shape, uh, and it was short, uh, lengthened to 1.824 miles. And now since 2000, the circuit has been 1.968 miles long. It's hard to believe that that course is just under two miles long. It's kind of like Sonoma, the old NASCAR uh, circuit at Sonoma. You feel like it's a lot longer than that, but no. It's, it's under two miles. In 2015 and 2016, the Long Beach Grand Prix was supported by a Formula E race, the Long Beach E-Prix. The series ran on a shortened version of the IndyCar course, totaling 1.32 miles. Uh, Nelson P.K. Jr. won in 2015, and Lucas DeGrassi won in 2016. I wanted to add that I, have, I was so disappointed when this race didn't return to the Formula E schedule because I thought it was just the coolest thing that Formula E was running at Long Beach. I was like, man, we are literally say, I mean, because as, as a country, I, I think that the United States, you know, Long Beach is our Monaco. You know, it is, it is, as you mentioned earlier, it is our Monaco. And so to have Formula E come here and race on one of our most historic and and popular and and you know savory i guess i don't know what i'm trying to find another adjective to describe it but one of the most pristine prestigious that's what i'm thinking prestigious street races in all of north america to bring formula e there i thought was really really cool and i'm really disappointed that any likelihood of that ever continuing seems to be dead in the water but when that when those events were held, I was like, "This is awesome! This is yeah. really cool." Yeah. Um, being summarized here, with the exception of 2020 due to the COVID nineteen pandemic, the Long Beach Grand Prix has been contested every year since 1975. Uh, the races built up the city of Long Beach from simply, a, as I mentioned earlier, a major industrial port for the United States, but a vacation and party destination for Southern California tourists. Without the race, it's possible that the Disney Corporation may never have considered building a new theme park, Westcott, in the city. Of course, that theme park was never built. Now, as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim look to look for a new ballpark, Long Beach has been rumored to be on the shortlist as possible uh, cities to be the new host. All of this and more uh, is due to one man's vision, and that was America's Monaco Grand Prix, Long Beach, as, as you just mentioned there. 
Uh, sports cars and ITs, open wheel feeder divisions, among others, have raced at Long Beach too, uh, but none have been uh, more pivotal than F1 car and IndyCar. I know the 2021 edition was rescheduled for September and uh, ultimately the season finale, and the 22 edition will return to its traditional spring date. But Long Beach has one of the richest traditions in American motor racing. And aside from the Indianapolis 500, it's a race every IndyCar competitor wants to win. I say in 2023, Long Beach should become this new season finale for IndyCar. I know that's kind of like, woo, out there. But I really, I enjoyed watching the race. I didn't mention this earlier intentionally, so I could talk about it here. I felt this really cool vibe, and it just looked cool. Monterey, Sonoma, great picturesque scenes one of my favorite words picturesque great picturesque scenes and and great places to end a season but there's something about this urban setting uh that you can bring the race to the fans because it looks thousands and thousands of people there i don't know if i remember a indie car race that had that many people maybe i'm just building it up because it's been two years since we've been there but um yeah i i want to see long beach be the season finale in 23 I don't, I, Rob. What are your thoughts on that? My, I know you touched on this my favorite part. I always feel like Long Beach is like this unofficial kickoff to like kind of the spring, the the warm spring summer months. Yeah. Um. Because it always feels like once the Long Beach Grand. It, it, this is how I've always felt it's ever since I've been like a, a kid watching Long Beach races. I've always felt like, oh hey, it's Long Beach time. Uh, it, it's 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 we could put on shorts now. We can we can put on some short sleeve shirts. We can you know, go outside and, and get our spring fever going. You know, I always love that feeling when Long Beach is in town, you know, it's Long Beach because yeah. it's like, all right, yeah, we're going to Long Beach. And it it always provides a great race, it always provides yeah. a very entertaining and exciting race. Um, it's one of those street courses that is just like you like, I mean, we've been talking about it. It's, it's our Monaco. It's the United States is Monaco. And I love it. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite tracks in the circuit. I don't know if I want it to be the finale again, as cool as this was. I kind of am weirdly nostalgic. You know, I love my, I'm, I'm always nostalgic, but you know, I love my feeling of, okay, Long Beach is here. I can break out the shorts. I can open up the windows. Yeah, let's go. You know, um, I, I like that. So definitely Long Beach always been one of my favorite uh, street courses in North America. All right. Well, if there's nothing else to say, Rob, I think we need to wrap this up here. Uh, what's in the windshield in two weeks? Formula One returns and does so at Istanbul Park for the Turkish Grand Prix, and what ultimately is a replacement for the Canadian Grand Prix that races on October 10th. On Saturday, October 2nd, the Arkham Menards series, uh, the big Arkham Menards series, travels to Salem Speedway in Indiana. It's race number 19 of 20. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, only two more races remain on that season because, uh, uh, that season will conclude at Kansas Speedway on October 23rd. The West Series, the Arkham Menard Series West, has two more races in 2021 on October 9th there uh, in the All-American Speedway in Roseville, California, before the season finale race at Phoenix on November 6th as a support race for NASCAR Championship Weekend. The NASCAR Triple Heads at Talladega, Alabama. On uh, Saturday, uh, the Truck Series, Camper World Truck Series, and the Xfinity Series uh, both race on that day, and then on Sunday, it's the Cup Series was the second event in the round of 12. Whew, Talladega weekend. Time to get your heart pumping. It's Talladega week. Talladega week. How many miles is this? 
1,050 miles of craziness is about to take place. So get get ready, buckle in. And it's not a cutoff race for anybody. It's not a cutoff race for anybody. You're right. Not a cutoff race for so, anybody. Remember, it's acceptable at Daytona, but not at Talladega. It's acceptable for the season, for the regular season. Not acceptable no, it's for not. the playoffs. If it's not acceptable at Talladega, it's not acceptable at Daytona. Rob's I'm going to say that till the day I die. If, if, if it's not acceptable to have a cutoff race at Talladega, it's not acceptable to have one at Daytona. He will live and die on that. I will folks. live and die on that. Yeah, he will. He will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the show today, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, however you're listening to this, wherever and whenever you're listening to it, thanks for tuning in, showing us some support. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, make sure you follow us. Uh, Rob is, on Twitter is at rpeters33. That's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. I'm at roller underscore zero one R O L L E R underscore zero one. The show is at Robin Roller, just as it sounds there. R O B A N D R O L L E R on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I love how I say just as it sounds, and I still spell it out. Just wanted to say that. Um, also, I could uh, read this part covering my eyes. I'm like, I don't need to see you read that. I said so many times. I'm glad I'm making you laugh here, Rob. All right, and then you can also find us on YouTube. Just search uh, Racing with Rob and Roller, and you can find us there. So that's it for the show today. Uh, a lot to talk about there. We had a lot of good We had a lot of good racing and some eh, racing, but that's okay. We're not, not every weekend can be perfect. Not every weekend can be race mess. It's okay. It's all right. All right. For Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody.